tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you to make a call. Leanne is looking after the programme today. Now, coming up on the show, a temporary man's uh, Supreme Court victory paves the way for changes to the widower's uh, pension. Uh, misuse of mother and baby parking spaces, we'll be chatting about that. There's also some concern about the safety of a new pedestrian crossing in a Temple Moor. N24 information meetings taking place this week. Uh, Global News with Thomas Conway, our agony aunt Phil is with us. Uh, We have our conspiracy files with Ali and indeed our psychotherapist Susan will chat to us about self-esteem and how to improve it. So all of that and much, much more on the way you text and WhatsApp 083 311 and you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at some of the front pages. Let's start with the Irish Daily Mail. And they're telling us on the front page that a simple blood test can detect Alzheimer's disease up to 15 years before symptoms begin which experts say will revolutionise diagnosis and a major trial found the test, which is already commercially available, was uh, an accurate uh, test, uh, gold standard indeed for diagnosing Alzheimer's. And some very good news there, I'm sure you, you'll agree. Uh, the Irish Times, and of course right across the newspapers today, still coverage about the uh, deaths of uh, Ian Bailey. The Times telling us that the Garda investigation into the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier Uh, will still result in a file being sent to the DPP despite the death of the chief suspect, Ian Bailey. And also that story there about uh, the Tipperary man who won that court in uh, won that case in the Supreme Court yesterday. We were chatting to him, in fact, in just a few moments' time. Uh, The Irish Examiner and uh, their lead story, the Tonish Jimmy Hall Martin, has said that he's open to the development of a supervised injection centre for drug addicts in Cork as health experts warned of the arrival of potent new opioids there. And uh, also the uh, Ian Bailey story there and uh, the Guardian investigating the murder of Ms. Duplantia are hoping that the death of the domineering Ian Bailey will encourage people to now come forward with information about the killing. And finally, a quick look at the Irish Independent. Their lead story, grocery shops and pharmacies will have to accept cash as part of a new plan to keep physical money in the economy. Supermarkets, convenience stores and pharmacies will have to take cash, but other stores won't. So that's a look at what's making headlines in the newspapers uh, today. And uh, if you would like to make comments on any of that, well, you can do so very easily. It's 083 311 Now, as you heard during our news bulletin there, the partner of a woman who died three years ago has won a Supreme Court appeal against a decision to exclude him from the widower's pension. Despite being the father of her three children, John O'Mara from Tumivara, was previously told he wasn't entitled to it because they weren't married. John joins me now. Good morning to you, John. 
Uh, good morning, friend. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us uh, today. Many congratulations uh, to you. Um, what does this ruling mean for you, John? Um, this, this ruling means everything for me, um, and it's, it's it's an amazing ruling. Um, you know, like it's it's finally recognition of our family. It's it's and you know it, it means the supports are there, the same as every other family would get. Where did you get the strength for this, John, to take it to the Supreme Court after the High Court decision and, indeed, while you were dealing with your grief after losing Michelle? I think that's what gave me the strength, Fran. Um, you know, it, it was that. And it was also, you know, the fact that to see my family wasn't being treated equal to, to other families, um, you know, that, that drove me even more to do this. And, uh, you know, before Michelle's death, had, had you any idea that this complexity was there and this anomaly was there, indeed, in how uh, people like yourself are dealt with? Had you any idea about that, John? No, at the time, I didn't actually, I didn't, I didn't understand that there was actually no support in place for someone in, in my position mm. and also so many other families. Mm. Um, and I got, I got an awful shock when I, you know, when I, when I went to check what was there. I uh, seeing that like that's it, you're on your own. It's, it, it was amazing. I just couldn't understand it. And since then, have you had other families um, and other people in a similar position to yourself make contact with you, John? Oh yeah, there's been loads. Definitely, yeah. there's been loads of families that make contact. And even like um, I've dealt a lot with Thor, Damien Pilo and Thor, like, and he's been yes. very helpful. Like, and like the, the amount of people have made contact with them is is is, is awesome. All over the country is amazing. Like, it's just to see them, to see the volume of people this affects. And, and still, like, to know at the time that there was nothing being done about it. So it just drove me even more to do it. Like. And can you just take us back? You, you you lost Michelle in, I think it was 2021. Was that, was that COVID-related, uh, John? Yeah, that was COVID-related. And, um, and, yeah. Yeah. And there was other complications as well, but, yeah, that was COVID. Yeah, and three three young children then. Yeah. And and would you would you just take me through what happened then? You You applied for... A widower's pension, is that it? That was it. I applied for the widower's pension and I was refused. And I, I appealed it on the refusal, the, the standard refusal base. And, uh, you know, I, I was told there was no point in the payment. There was, it was nothing there, like, in place. So at that stage, I, I looked into it some more. And obviously I got in touch with with Thor. Um, I got in touch with, with Alan Kelly from Labour at the time as well. He was very helpful at the time. And, you know... Between us all, we just we just started to look into it, and we just we took it a bit more. We just took it a bit more, and yeah, this is where we ended up. Yes, and were, were you surprised at the High Court decision at the time? Were you very deflated because of that decision? Yeah, I, at, the, at the time, um, yeah, definitely with the High Court decision was that was very that was very disappointing, um, mm. and we kind of we were thinking at the time, look, the road we were going was Europe. Mm. Um, you know, that's a long road. Yes, um, we were we were very shocked that to, to to see that the Supreme Court was going to take it on, um, which you know turned out to be the best result in the end, which was a fantastic result. But where are we now? Then this is a Supreme Court decision that's setting precedent, I would imagine. But I presume legislation is needed to underpin this, or is that correct, John? Um, at the moment, at the moment, I'm not 100 percent sure what way it is, but. Um, there will be legislation that needs to be changed around, but um, as it stands, as far as I know, like any person in my position is eligible to, you know, just fill, fill in the form. Go yes. for it. 
So, yeah, that's, so it, it, that's, you, you think it's that simple now that this has given you the go-ahead, I suppose, to, to collect the pension? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that it's... Yeah, I think it's basically, you know, just get, get in touch with your local social welfare office um, if you're in that position and um, inquire. And, yeah, I think that's it is. It's that simple, I think. Look, there, there probably will be a little few things to be ironed out, um, but, you know, this is kind of it's kind of changed a lot of it. Yes. And how are you feeling now? Because, I mean, this is landmark stuff. Um, how, how are you feeling about that and the importance of what you achieved, John? Oh, I feel, I feel great. It's, 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 it's amazing. To, to, from that, I don't think I actually see the, how, how many people have been affected by this. It's changed yeah. their lives for so many people. Like, and yeah, it feels great. No, it does. It feels absolutely great to know that you know we, we've we've actually got this far in one. Yeah, because I mean, after the news yesterday, headline news on national radio, TV, newspapers today. I mean, it's it's an incredible victory. It really, really is. Oh, it's 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 an incredible victory for the for the, for the country as well. For you know, for all families. And I look, it, it shows that we like the family has moved in Ireland. The type of family we have, and you know, we need to recognise it on everybody in every family. You know, and you know the. Our social welfare system isn't keeping up to date. It really needs to be overhauled and things like that. Yeah, it's certainly fueling a lot of discussion uh, as well. And um, I, I see that the former Attorney General, General um, uh, Michael McDowell, today, he's in fact, based on the judgment that you got, he is now questioning the need to hold a referendum on, on family at all in light of, as he's describing it, the O'Mara um, judgment. So this this could have far-reaching uh, effect. It's 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 amazing, isn't it? Yeah, no, it it is. And it, it highlights too, I suppose, the, the clarity need in in our referendum. We no, we need more clarity from the government on what what they're proposing. You know, to um, to define the family. And, yeah. You know, it, it, it's there's there's still work to be done in that. I think as well. But I I don't know. We still I think we still need to get that referendum through. You know. Um, because I, my judgment was that was more based on family with children. You know, there was more of a discrimination against my children. Yes, yes. That that notion of not being married or not being in, entered into some sort of formal civil partnership or or, or, or the like. And did you feel insulted along the way to some degree that almost your relationship with Michelle was was being made to be not not quite what it should be in some way. Yeah, that's, that was it. Like it, it, it felt a small bit degrading to know, to know like that, you know, our our twenty year relationship was, you know, not recognised yeah. by the state. And like you're 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 not a family under our constitution unless you're married in, in this country. And that's that's the way it still stands. And um, you know, we need that needs to change. It's it's amazing. With with all that's gone on around this, John, did you have to to delay your grieving to some some degree? Yeah, it, it does. It affects everything. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's something extra you have to deal with. Um, and I suppose the grieving is part of the driving force as well. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of them things that you don't want to be dealing with. It's, it's, they're the last things you need to deal with when you, when you are in a situation. You are grieving and you have so much going on and you find out that, you know, all these are the problems you want to face. It makes everything so much harder. Of course it does indeed. How How are the children, John? 
No, children are great. They're, yeah. they're great. They're flying it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, and they're delighted. They're delighted because as well. They've been part of this the whole way through. Have they? And so. they've been aware that this is going on and understanding it. And... Oh, yeah. They've been they've been in the courts every day. Every time we were in court, they were there. Um, yeah. Oh, no, they've been very aware. All right. That's great. Well, look, once again, congratulations to you. Uh, and uh, thanks for coming on with us uh, this morning, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning thanks, to you. Thank what you. About you that's uh, Johnny O'Mara speaking to us there. 1800 938 007. The uh, text and WhatsApp. And uh, you can uh, speak to uh, Leanne for free. 1800 938 007. Back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry. In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust. Trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatterysgarage.ie Now, at uh, the top of the programme, I was having a look through the newspapers and one of the headlines I read out was about uh, grocery shops and pharmacies now having to accept cash as part of a new plan to keep physical money in the economy. Barbara was on and she says, Fran, do our politicians ever listen or do any kind of survey? and going cashless. I'm uh, the mother and full-time carer of my special needs son. It's taken me 22 years to teach him about using cash and it's an ongoing daily education for him. He barely understands the cash. It will be impossible for him to understand not having cash. I'm sure he's not uh, the only one and once again people with extra needs will be further excluded from society. That's a very good point uh, Barbara and thank you for that. Um, uh, Maria is in leash tuned our way today and says great news on cash being accepted but shops need to give us the correct change and stop rounding up uh, we are the only country where this happens and what's going on here in Ireland and also the limit on ATM withdrawals of 150 in some cases uh, that wouldn't even buy half the groceries in the US shops give discounts now for cash payments uh, the card system costs the retailer and costs the consumer and they're making big bucks says Maria lots more in on that and also where uh, John's case was concerned in the Supreme Court yesterday um, one of our listeners says uh, I was divorced from my husband and he died uh, uh, several years after I was after uh, I was on a contribution widow's pension and uh, how can I be a widow woman if I was divorced? I rang the social welfare, but they said my payment is right and correct. I am a widow. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Oh, eight three three double one double three double one. And Councillor David Dunn was on to say, I want to personally thank John for what he has done for all cohabiting uh, families right across the uh, country. Oh, eight three three double one double three double one. Now we often get complaints to the show about the abuse of parking spaces, particularly when it comes to uh, disability uh, spaces. But listeners have also been uh, making comment on the abuse of parent and child spaces. But blue badge users have also faced issues with parents using disabled spots when uh, they're parking. Uh, Pat Mullally joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Pat. But more importantly, how are you, Pat? You, you, you have a disability, is that right? I have a disability, yeah. I have uh, lost a leg in 2019. Right, so so but, uh, you, you have the blue badge then, is that it? I have the blue badge, yeah. Yeah, so what, the what's badge. happening out there, Pat? Well, um, 
we can see from a regular basis that um, it's been abused. Um, now, I know the Gardaí have been fairly strong last year on it, um, especially I saw inside in Clanmel, they were stopping and putting on tickets and cars or whatever the case may be, they were parked in the, in the wrong spot. Um, I do find that there's not enough of, car, of, of, of spaces available. Um, because uh, if you look at, say, Jadstone Street, there's only two, three spaces. Yes. Um, which is a fairly busy street for shopping uh, with doctor surgery and whatever else is in the place, uh, opticians and things. So, like, it's a place that you would have to go to, you know. Um, then uh, you, you spoke there about the the, um, the the parent and toddler space yeah. in supermarkets mm. and things. Now, the only thing about the, super, the, 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 the supermarkets with the parent and toddler and also the, the blue badge space, they are not being patrolled. Um, now, it's not illegal to park in uh, a, a parent and toddler mm. space. It's just a, there as a facility or as a courtesy to the, the mother that's bringing or father. We can't distinguish between each because they're all equal now. Mm-hmm. But whoever wants to bring a, a child to a supermarket, it's awful getting out cuts and whatever it is, or chairs yeah. or cars and, and taking kids out safely. So it's there as a, it gives them extra space whereby they can take the children out from the car if you have two kids to dissolve it. But, like, there's people going around with a seat in the back, in the back seat, a car seat in the back seat with no child in it, and still they park inside in the, the space, you know, and it gives them a carte blanche uh, passport. So they're, they're using the, the child seat to sort of give them um, the, the, the ability to park in these places, uh, in uh, these places and get yeah, away you, with you it. You can yeah. see that. Now, yeah. also another fact is that maybe the... the, the, the they're used to it and they have children in the back seat, but maybe a day in the community town they might have a child mm. still in the back seat, but they'll park in that space anyway. Uh, now, I did see on, on, on um, uh, another media um, where there was um, um, uh, people were saying that there was the man in the white van, the man in the vans were using those to pop into supermarkets to get their quick bit cheese or whatever it is. Mm. Mm. And a suggestion was made that they should leave the, the parent and toddler a bit back from the supermarkets that uh, then they won't be used by these and they'll be just there specifically for um, the parent and toddler and they can then bring the toddler uh, the, the, the toddler into the supermarket safely. You know? so, yeah, it, it's interesting. But outside of supermarket car parking, I don't think I've ever seen spaces for um, parents and, and toddlers. Are, are there spaces on, on the public no, road? No, I, I don't I think so. I didn't see, and, and I've done a little bit of research on this, and, and yeah. just a small bit, just to find out even what was happening in the UK. And the same thing is inside the UK. It's not illegal to park inside the parent. I don't know, anybody can park inside it. Um, but uh, what they're trying to do is they said that, they, that like the two supermarkets that they were mentioning was Asda and Sainsbury's, mm. and that they said that they were going to patrol the supermarkets. Now, if they started going to tampering people inside the supermarkets parking in the wrong spot, they would soon turn the customers away, so there's a big, a big no-no there's, there. There's, there's a difficulty there. Of course, there's a big difference because the supermarket car parks would be privately owned. So the Gardaí, obviously, they don't have jurisdiction over over that. Now, this was discussed last year by the Irish Wheelchair Society. Was it? Yeah. And uh, they wanted to 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 uh, get the the, the Gardaí to go in and, and patrol these places because to see if they don't mean if they got the the. They should have the jurisdiction to go into the supermarket. Yes. Now, the deal is all they can do is go in and just check to see if there's a password, a badge holder, and if they, they don't hold a badge, well, then 
a fine, appropriate fine. Mm. But like, if, if it went down to court, then the, 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 the ground is owned by the supermarkets, privately owned. I'd yeah. say that the case of good conditions that would get people off, you know. So. Yeah, I, d- I don't think it would, would stand up because I know that the, there's even controversy around whether or not uh, supermarkets would have the ability to, to clamp cars even with, with private security. So that even is a whole other discussion. You would imagine, Pat, we, we shouldn't even be getting into the law around this. I mean, it should be just people doing the right thing, surely. I would say that's to see the thing about it is that, that people don't um, yeah. see a park, a car parking space. Now, look, at, I, I put it this way to you. There is a few car parking spaces around that have wheelchair, but the blue paint is gone. But it's not visible, and maybe maybe person yeah. can go in over, it, you know, and park inside it, and don't realise they're actually in a, in a space. Now, the reason I've seen that they're just a, with the white badge. You now, there will be normally um, a sign on the footpath depicting uh, um, a wheelchair space. But um, like the blue, the blue paint on the ground is is vitally important. Now, I know that there's a, a new uh, thing being done in the square and care here. And uh, they're, they're taking away the, um, the cars from going through the square mm. uh, in one end of it, and they're actually putting in there. The, they're hoping that the, with the new car park, that the people will park in the new car park, but that they're putting in additional wheelchair spaces in the in the square, which would be handy for the likes of the people that that have the blue badge. It would know. indeed. But I'm glad you brought up the the colour scheme because the blue, friends, I have trouble with colours, Pat. And the Boy. blue the blue I can recognise all right, but I got into awful trouble a few years ago because I parked in, in a parent and toddler uh, spot, but it had a colour. And I think, I, I'm not sure was it green or something, but I couldn't tell the difference. And I didn't know what, but this woman lay, she laid, it, she laid into me about it, and and I obviously moved straight away. But you're yeah. right; it maybe maybe the signage has to be more in your in your face for fellas like me, I suppose. Well, it could. You see that the the thing about it is with a wheelchair is, is if you have a wheelchair in the car, you have to use a wheelchair. Now, unfortunately, I have a, a paused leg, so it's a carry the wheelchair in the car in the event of a problem. Yes. Like I can't walk that far because the simple reason is that it's, you know it's, it's, it's awkward. Um, you can get by, you know, get out of your car and go into the into the shop or whatever it is, but not spend too long on the leg um, because of the fact it's, it's of artificial. Yeah. You know, um, like you have to have space to take out the wheelchair, whether it's out of the boot or out of your your side door. Uh, even if you're in the car on your own and you're trying to, t- you have a person that's trying to take out a wheelchair, you know, on their own. They have it there beside them. They leave their seat back. They need the door wide open to take it out, to get it out of the seat. So they need space. And this is what, what the, 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 these uh, um, blue badges mean. It, it, it gives them the, the position that they can put yes, space that's reserved for them, right, that has ample space inside it. Now, the thing about it is, Brian, the blue badge is, you know, you're a disabled driver or whatever the case may mm. be, but not all disabilities are seen. That's another thing that people should, should consider. That's a very well. good point. There could be a heart issue or something, or a yeah, breathing well, it, issue. Yes, it can be anything like that. Yes, and, and, and yeah. That's, that's why. Now, I know that I was inside in a car park. Uh, I think I spoke to you before about it. And when I pulled inside, I went in to get into the space that was available. There was a, a lady parked inside it. And uh, I said, that, uh, you don't have a badge. And she said that uh, she, she just looked at me and walked away. And I had to pull away from there. And I said to her again, I said, you don't have a badge. I said, you're, you're holding up a space. It doesn't seem to be much wrong with you, she said. Yeah. So, 
you know, uh, wow. those things happen. You wow. know, so yeah, that but... can be ignorance or the fact that I, I challenged her that she didn't want to be challenged. You know, or she felt, you know, that she was embarrassed. But this was already her. You know, so as I said to you, not every disability is seen. Well, that's, you know. that's, that's for sure. And uh, Pat, I'm delighted you could highlight all of that for us today. And thank you for coming on with us too. That's uh, Pat Mullally speaking to us there. 083 311 Let us go to Jordana now. And uh, Jordana, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and great to talk to you today. You're a mother of one. Um, how, how, how do you find it when you're trying to find parking in uh, supermarkets and indeed on, on the roads as well? Um, it is tough because like there's not many there and like there's always car spaces in the car space like and they don't always have like a child. So it can be hard sometimes, you know. Mm. Um, but outside supermarkets and stuff like that, like as you were saying, um, it is important to kinda of have them because like when a mother's packing away her shopping or something and she has a child there, like it's kinda of dangerous to be in the middle of a car park where a sure. child's just run out in front of a car. You kinda of need to be up by a door or a footpath so like the child knows to stay there if she's you know, unpacking or packing up a car or something like that, that kind of way. Yeah, it must be a nightmare indeed to mind, a child, particularly if it's a two-year-old or a toddler, you know, because they're yeah. by their nature they want to fly around the place and stuff, and there you are. And and do you find a lot of people are abusing these parking spaces as well? I do. I feel like they take them for advantage when they just see them there. Like, you know, same with the disability spots. Like, I just think that if you don't have your child with you, you should park somewhere else, like, and don't take it up for another parent that's in need. Same with disability, like if you're yes. if you have the person with you, you should use the spot. But if you don't, you shouldn't have to use it. You're not gonna worry. Just don't take advantage of it and just like leave it for someone that's more in need. And and Pat was telling us there about seeing cars that might might have a child seat in the back, but obviously the, the child isn't with them at that particular yeah. time, but still using the, the, the space. Would you have come across that as well? I haven't myself now, to be honest with you. Um I don't really I wouldn't really know now if someone had the child or not in the car with them. But yeah. I say a lot of people do do that. You know, I kind of worry like... Right. And that notion of moving them further back away no. from the entrance, what, what what about that? I don't think they should, just for the safety of the child at all, because, like, if the mother is busy, like, you know, you know, taking care of the seats in and out of the car, if she had more than one child, it would be hard for her to like, keep an eye on the other child. And yeah. it's just for the child's own safety that they should have them there. I think, anyways. Yeah, did you ever have a row with anybody at... No. <laughs> no, no, not that I know of. I know it's kind of frustrating when you have a child and it's raining like today and, you know, all the car spaces are taken up. You have to park elsewhere and then you have to bring the child in out of the rain and stuff like that. You don't want them getting sick or cold or wet. So I think there should be at least a couple of more there um, in a car park that should be written down as, like, you know, disability or um, parent parking. But, um, yeah, I just think people should only use them if they have their child actually with them and if they're in need of it instead of just parking up to the door for themselves, like, you know. Yeah, and am I right in thinking that there are no parent-toddler spaces on the main streets? Of, of... No, there's none there at all, no. Right. Should should there be, Jordana, or how would that work? Would that work? I think, I don't know if it would work, like, you know, but I think there should be at least, like, maybe a three or four of them there just for you know, in an emergency or anything like that for anyone that's kind of struggling to get a parking space. There should be at least one or two there to yeah. kind of help out parents that have kids or just more than just one, like. 
And do you sometimes choose a supermarket based on parking? I mean, would, would that come into your decision as to where to go? I know what the way yeah. things are with cost of living and all of that. That That is probably the primary consideration. But mm-hmm. what about that? Do you, do you take that into account? Um, sometimes, yeah, because like Tesco now would have a good kind of like area for car pay, like here in parking. Yeah. And Aldi have one as well. But yeah, like most places don't kind of really have it there. So like I wouldn't really particularly go if like, you know, if I had my child with me, I'd go somewhere that's easier for her and not for myself. Like, right. So, that so it's commercially with. important for a supermarket or a, a large shop to, to provide those kind of yeah. spaces, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. All right, Jordana, it's lovely to talk to you today and look after yourself and thank you for coming on with me. Thank you. Let's uh, go to uh, Dave now, who's been listening to our our various conversations there. Dave, good morning to you. Sorry, friend. And uh, good to talk to you, Dave. You're infuriated when people take up uh, parking spaces that we've been uh, describing there. Oh, these people boil my piss big time, friend. Do they? Yeah. Oh, no. Do you know what it is? It's It's the sense of entitlement. Because I see, I see people doing it, and a lot of the time it's your, your guys, your big flashy cars, and you know, the, you're the kind of people that you go into a car park and they take it over two spaces, or you meet them on the morning oh, I time, know. and I know. you know, God for God forbid, they could be stuck behind you and your banger. They have to overtake you, you know, no matter the road condition. Like now, that's my own observation, but it seems to be people like that. And it, it seems to be people of an older ilk as well. You know, do you, do you think so? Older people. I just wow. from, from my. From my own, no, I'm not saying old, old. I'm not saying yeah. like you know pension age old, but definitely people of like you know fifties, sixties, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like there's a sense of entitlement about it. You know, I've 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 gotten into the odds. Um, uh, how would you say? Um, what's the argument necessarily? Yeah. You know, but I've, I I wouldn't I wouldn't think twice about speaking my mind about it though. You know, or and how, have you confronted have you confronted anybody in 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 Car park, I so. have. There's once or twice I've, I've rolled down the window and said, hey, have you kids? Yeah. What are you doing there? And the usual answer is, uh, uh, you know, yeah. so they know they shouldn't be doing it anyway. And when you when you pull them up on it, they don't really have an answer. You know, and I was I, I, actually one time someone told me, um, uh, was uh, all of us young parents are entitled. You know, we feel entitled that the world owes us something just because we have children. Now, I feel just yeah. the same as anybody who parks in a disabled spot as well. I'll be honest with you, I feel more about someone who parks in disabled pop. Uh, people who do that intentionally, in my eyes, are scum. You know, you, you should yeah, be doing that, it. That, that's a ridiculous uh, excuse to give. I'll only be a couple of minutes. Like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you've got two legs, use them. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. like going shopping, particularly with a small child, is like a military operation. You know, especially yeah. if you have a baby. Because, you know, you pull up, you get out the buggy, you get out the car seat, you get your child into it. And as well as that, a lot of... I, I, I always kind of thought that the car park spaces would be like kind of, you know, a standardized kind of a thing, you know, they'd all more or less be the same width. But I found, you know, if you go to different places, some of them, you get out of the car, you've loads of room. Other ones, you get out of the car, you're you're nearly making sure you don't scrape the one next to you. So you're trying to do all that with a small child or even multiple children uh, in a normal uh, parking spot is it's. Uh, it's the nightmare, to be honest with you. you it, know. it surely is. It's interesting what you're saying about the width of these car parking spaces because I was down in Cork over Christmas and I was in one of these high-rise places. I mean, you'd want to be an extremely expert driver to get into the spaces and to get around the car park as well. Absolute oh, madness. Yeah, no, some, I've been in some of them before. Um, the, the, the underground one in UHL actually is one that springs to my mind and 
I remember reversing into a spot now. I was like, God bless the guy who invented parking sensors, to be honest with you. Or there would have been a little bag, and he'd be like, hey, you stay there. I'm going to go park across the street. Yeah, it's, um, I, I just yeah, found yeah, it, it incredible. Is, uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah, but I, genuinely, I, I genuinely think they should clamp these people, though. Honestly. Because, yeah. I mean, because you don't need to clamp everybody. You just need to clamp one or two people, and then... You make an example. Word of you mouth. make an example. Make of them, an example yeah. of them. Because yeah. think about it. Who's who's going to spend more money in a shop? Um, someone who's going in doing the weekly family shop, or you know, some gobshite who's just going in getting bread and cheese and yeah, ham, just abandoning you know? the. But by the way, did you ever see anybody clamped in a supermarket? I don't. I don't think I did. I know there's threats of it, but does it actually oh, happen? Oh, Aldi's do it. Do Aldi's they? And okay. do it. Yeah, right. if you if you're there for longer than sixty minutes, they clamp you. Do they? Okay. And, uh, mm. and, uh, and even regardless of even if you're shopping, I know a girl who she was in there for I think about an hour and a bit, mm. and she came out and there was a clamp on the car. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Lyd- Lydles were doing it over Christmas as well, I think. Yeah, I suppose it has to happen. I suppose other otherwise there'd be chaos and mayhem. Well, sure, look, Christmas time is probably where they make their most money. So I mean, they're only you know look yeah. after their overheads really. You it's, know, so. it's interesting, though, about the... Do you think the guards should have jurisdiction over what happens on the uh, supermarket campuses? Do you think that should um, be? No, not really. Like, I, I can't see why the, the supermarkets... Like, I mean, if, if it's their land, I mean, shouldn't they be the ones who are allowed to set the rules? Yeah, yeah. You know, those are also handy places to park when you have no tax, so if the guards are able to come in, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that you would ever do that, Dave. No, God, no, 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 no. I was, I, I always pay my, I never let it go till the last day of the month. God, of course, no, no, of course you don't. And me too. Dave, great to talk to you today and look after yourself out there. Thank, Thank you. Always. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Dave uh, speaking to us today. By the way, uh, from a weather point of view, can you believe another yellow weather warning? Met Aaron. Uh, telling us about very strong, gusty uh, southwest to west winds here in uh, Tipperary. And uh, just looking out the window here, it's already beginning to to get a little stormy uh, out there. But they're saying that their yellow weather warning is uh, valid from 2 o'clock uh, today until 2 o'clock tomorrow. So, uh, interesting. Uh, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Now, people living along the N24 in South Tipperary are being encouraged to to attend the information meetings taking place this week on the proposed upgrade of the route between Care and Waterford, and local politicians were briefed on the project last week with the design team confirming that no houses along the Clonmel Inner Relief Road will be demolished. But let's find out what the story is, because I'm glad to be joined in the studio by Councillor Michael Murphy. Good morning to you, Michael. Uh, Good morning, friend. And thanks for coming on with us today. There's a lot of complexity about it, a lot of confusion about this too, Michael. Isn't that fair to say? I think that's fair to say, uh, Fran. Let me make some overarching points, first of all. As you said, the uh, preferred transport solution, which is phase two of this project, uh, is being published uh, at 2pm today. Uh, It's been published uh, on the dedicated website, which is N24 
Waterford 2, and that's the numeric 2, care.ie. Uh, that's followed, as you said, by uh, four information days, the first being today in Care House, uh, tomorrow in the Talbot Hotel, in the Moonkind Community Hall on Thursday, and finally in the Carrig uh, Hotel uh, in, in Carrick and Shore on Friday between 2 uh, and 8pm. And particularly as it applies to Clonmel, I would encourage as many as possible to attend uh, the Talbot Hotel tomorrow afternoon uh, between 2pm uh, and 8pm. Um, I'm happy to discuss... Uh, the route as it traverses the Clanmel district and what I mean by that is from Shorehall over towards Derrygrath mm-hmm. uh, to the to the west and to the east down towards Ballydyne and Merck Sharp and Dome uh, so let me be very clear in the context of the information that was provided to me last Friday uh, I'll try and give as much clarity uh, and information accurate information as I can so between those two points between uh, Derrygrath and uh, Ballydyne, we've been told that this preferred solution will involve the compulsory purchase order of no more than four dwellings. None of those four dwellings are between the uh, Poppy Fields roundabout uh, up on the Care Roadside of Clonmel and the Moongarriff roundabout. So there will be no compulsory uh, purchase orders of mm. any dwellings along the bypass. And I'm talking about estates like the Haywood Drive, Artgeha Drive, uh, down towards uh, Fairfields, um, uh, Carrageen, uh, the Wilderness, and they're all on the left-hand side as I travel towards Waterford. And equally, many of the commercial buildings as well to the right-hand side of the bypass uh, as I head towards uh, Waterford. No compulsory uh, purchase mm. order of any residence along that. Even though letters were sent to tell us that we're in that corridor, Michael. Absolutely. And and unfortunately, uh, those letters, and it's those letters that have led to so much uh, confusion. My understanding, and having asked the question, because technically you're within 300 metres, the corridor, remember, the corridor is a 300 metre wide corridor. The solution is only a 50 metre wide corridor. And if you fall within 300 metres of the existing bypass, you received uh, a letter. But let me reassure everybody that's received uh, a letter uh, in recent weeks and months, there will be no compulsory purchase orders of any private dwellings Mm. or indeed any commercial uh, businesses between the Care Road roundabout uh, and the Moongarif Road uh, roundabout. And that's absolute. That's absolute. Absolute. That's in response to a question that I asked. And again, I asked how many compulsory purchase orders will be involved, notwithstanding the compulsory purchase order of land. Mm. uh, But in terms of dwellings, four in total, I know that two possibly three of those are down towards the Kilsheelan area. And have they been spoken to? And they have been spoken to. So if your dwelling was to be subject to a compulsory order, you would have received um, physical contact, physical Mm. contact from uh, a member of the project uh, team, but no compulsory purchase order of any residents. In fact, the solution as it applies uh, along that stretch of the current Clonmel bypass will not impact on the boundaries uh, of any properties, apart, I believe, from one or two where there may be what they describe as minimalistic uh, impact on boundaries. So they may be a physical wall that may need to be moved a foot or two foot in particular that more applies to commercial premises but no compulsory orders of uh, any uh, residences. Right. And in terms of the, the, the Clanmel bypass, I mean, how, how will that be different, if you know what I mean? Or how, how will that be affected? So the... the, the the congestion, uh, as they, you know, there's been a lot of modelling done in terms of traffic movements, and the, the, the highest level of congestion is between the Cashel Road roundabout and the Federal Road roundabout. And they've calculated on average 22,000 vehicle movements a day 
between the Cashel Road roundabout and wow. that's incredible and I, I don't know yesterday I, I never saw as much congestion around Clamell and particularly on the bypass I was on the bypass myself and it was at a standstill at that particular point and this solution is all about taking um, a certain amount of vehicles reducing that, that vehicle amount by 40% and that's where these link roads come in these outer link roads the first uh, link road being proposed if you're coming towards Clonmel from the Cashel side through Rose Green through Clarehan and you come to what I call the as we know locally as the Abbott roundabout the roundabout at the entrance to Abbott yes. a proposed link road from there over towards the feathered road coming out uh, around Tanner's Rath that's the first uh, link road Okay. the second link road Again, if you come through and straight through the Abbott uh, roundabout and you come down what we call Ardgia Hill, halfway down that hill at the entrance to Longfield, another roundabout where you can enter the Longfield uh, estate and travel across and come out at the mini roundabout just below where I live myself, on the top of the Feathered Road. That roundabout is already there. In fact, that route through the Longfield Estate was always um, uh, in our, our local area plans. So that's another link road. Uh, and indeed, that link road where it comes out at the mini roundabout at the top of the Feathered Road will continue on through lands north of Willow Park, north of Fairfields, uh, sorry, north of Carrageen and the Wilderness, and come out on an existing road within the Carrageen uh, industrial estate and out on so the point of those two link roads is to take significant significant traffic they've calculated that 40% of traffic coming out on that particular pinch point between the Feathered Road roundabout and the Cashel Road roundabout is coming from the Cashel side of Clonmel and the Feathered side of Clonmel right. Obviously farmland will be affected greatly uh, There'll be a huge impact on, on, yeah. on landowners and, and again I want to stress in terms of timelines what we're talking about here is phase two which is the preferred transport solution uh, and there'll be an information consultation phase between now and I said uh, the next number of days that solution phase is to conclude around March uh, and before we need move to phase three, uh, obviously approval from government will be required. Uh, phase three then being the design uh, and preparing a, a planning application phase. And realistically, Fran, uh, and I want to be honest with everybody, that's a minimum of two years. And if I go on other similar projects, I would say at least three years. And involved in that design phase, will there be a lot of engagement in terms of uh, environmental impact assessment, archaeology, engagement with uh, local landowners, but the biggest impact will be uh, on local landowners and particularly landowners along those two link mm. roads that I mentioned and, and indeed the bypass of uh, Kilsheelan as well. Significant impact on landowners at that location and, as well. And particularly if landowners are trying to sell property, I would imagine, that this will be a huge impediment. Uh, a huge impediment and I would, uh, you know, coming back to your, your little impact on residences, biggest impact on, on landowners but as you know Fran with any major um, link road bypass you know it's always the landowner that's most impacted I would say when this particular proposal and the different options were published initially bear in mind that there was proposed routes way beyond uh, much more um, I would say detailed in terms of scope and ambition and you know a motorway out towards Monroe mm. through Townsland like uh, Ballyvaughan down towards Ballybow um, uh, Ballyglashine, those types of areas, that's now off the table. I would describe what's being proposed as affordable 
and deliverable. The overall cost associated with this project is coming in at around 50, uh, 50 million uh, euros and it is a project that can be delivered uh, in phases as well. For example, the Clonmel phase and the Link Roads phase could be delivered in phase one. Um, the Kilsheelan bypass, perhaps phase two. Obviously, the bypass of Carrick and Shore, very, very complex, you know, possibly phase, phase three. But the earliest, the earliest, and if you bear in mind, we're only coming to the preferred solution stage now and bearing in mind that it is design phase will take up to three years and you're only lodging a planning application uh, at that stage, I think we're well beyond 2030 before we see any sods turned on this project. The, the, the Green Party, obviously part of this government, will they not sort of impede this? as much as they can because of their own ideology, will this? I would say in terms of moving to the next phase, I think it will be a decision for uh, an incoming uh, government and bearing in mind, uh, I, I can see a decision of course we'll have the preferred uh, transport solution decided upon uh, by March in terms of moving to the planning phase I would say that's a decision for any new government and as you know Fran, it's anyone's guess as to the makeup sure. and whether the Greens yeah. will be part of but I think in the context of Clonmel and delivering that particular phase I think it's not sustainable to have you know an existing uh, situation where you have 22,000 vehicle movements uh, along the Clonmel sure, bypass yeah. and in terms of the ambition that we have from Clonmel uh, I think uh, these outer link roads and indeed a proposed flyover at the feathered uh, roundabout, uh, absolutely crucial to the future expansion of Clonmel. And the these information days now over the course of this week I mean will they show the accommodation roads that you're talking about, the link roads they'll all show, of that? Yeah, they'll, they, show the link they'll, roads. they'll all be there? They'll all be there friend, in fact they'll as I said, it'll be published on the website uh, this afternoon at 2pm, www. Right. N24. And, and any bridges that you made reference correct, to there? Correct, correct. Now, remember, it's... It, it, really it'll only show the um, uh, the corridors and indeed where that uh, flyover bridge will be the actual link roads as I said through the Longfield estate out towards the mini roundabout on the feathered road and subsequently down towards um, the Carrageen industrial estate through lands north of uh, Willow Park the wilderness in Carrageen and then the outer link road from the Abbott roundabout over towards uh, Tanner's Rat and that in particular that outer link road is for heavy goods vehicles whereas the route through the Longfield Estate uh, is more for uh, lights goods, uh, you know, just ordinary uh, cars. But in terms of the actual finer details of the project, that will be in the design phase. And because I've seen stupid stuff go on over the years, Michael, is this future-proofed in some way? Um, what you've seen? I mean, you know, population I, expanding and all of that. Will, will Is it future-proofed? What I, you've I, seen? I, I, I think it is, and I, I, I would agree. And in terms of what's been presented to me uh, so far, uh, it would have my, my support because it's deliverable, it's affordable, uh, Fran, and it's a project that can be delivered uh, in particular phases. If if the preferred solution was this motorway type solution uh, true, as I said, lands north of Monroe down towards Ballyvaughan, Ballyglashine, Ballybow, those townslands, it wouldn't, would never happen in my lifetime. That's what I'd be telling you here today. You only have to look at the motorway mm. being proposed between Limerick and Cork. But this is uh, a more, not as ambitious, but I think a more realistic and has a more realistic chance of proceeding. You might be able to help me with something else I'm confused about. The Limerick Junction 
um, uh, bypass and again being part of the N24. They're in a different phase, are they? Too? Yeah, so they're in the, they're in now, the I know this is outside of your own area, but, uh, but yeah. it, it, so I suppose with any project, um, we're in phase two now here at the moment, which is the preferred transport uh, solution phase. Yes. And indeed, they are at the and they've and the next phase for the Clonmel, uh, or sorry, the care to Waterford section is the design phase, and government approval is required for us to move to the next phase. In the context of the uh, care to uh, our Limerick Junction to Limerick phase, they have moved beyond the preferred transport solution phase. They are currently in the design phase. Yes. So, so they received approval to move to the design phase and they are currently in the design phase and following on from that uh, with a view to lodging a planning application. All right, very interesting. That's my understanding so of if, that if, phase. So if people, well, if you're a little bit confused, you can imagine how yeah. people like me... Well, as I said, my, my, my knowledge, Fran, yes, is, as yeah. I said, as, as it traverses through the Clonmel of district course, from Valentine uh, to... to, to uh, yes, uh, so to the opportunity is for people then to have a look at what's uh, available to them. Uh, Care House, as you say today, Michael, isn't it? That's right. Care House between 2pm and 8pm at the Talbot Hotel uh, tomorrow between 2pm and 8pm, the Moonkind Community Hall on Thursday between 2pm and 8pm and finally uh, in the Carrick Hotel on 2pm at 8pm and again it will be published on their website this afternoon uh, at 2pm and I am sure my colleagues as public representatives are available to provide any additional uh, clarity but the key point I want to make today Fran in terms of the assurances that have been given to me no compulsory order purchase orders on any residents uh, along the bypass in Clonmel between the Mungara roundabout and the Care Road roundabout indeed little or no impact on the boundaries as well of those that the solution will um, will be within or outside the boundaries of any commercial residential properties. All right, very good indeed. Um, local elections uh, this year, Michael, how are you shaping up? Are you are you talking to people already? Are you? Uh, of course I am. Well, look, uh, Fran, from the moment I'm elected uh, to the date of the next election, I'm always uh, working hard. Uh, I'm always in uh, election uh, mode. Um, pardon the pun, but my slogan is always and has always been always available, not just at election time. Yeah. But yeah, look at difficult elections ahead on the. What a vote you got last time round, though. I mean, are you hoping to look, emulate I'm, that I again? I first entered politics in two thousand and nine, and ever since that particular election, I'm very grateful to the confidence and uh, the people of Clonmel have put uh, in me. I'd be putting my name uh, uh, forward again uh, for a re-election on the 7th of June and of course I would take this opportunity to appeal for that support uh, again. I was overwhelmed with the support uh, I got the last time and indeed um, would be grateful of similar support again this mm. time. Well, it'll be very different this time round though because I, I can only judge on what we're hearing here Michael. People are confused and angry and cross and does it feel different to you? Um, look, I'm not looking for sympathy. Being a public representative is certainly not 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 easy. But as I said. Um, what I've always tried to do is just keep my head down, uh, work as hard as I can, uh, be available as best I can, always work in the best interests uh, of Clonmel and surrounding areas. My goal has always been to make Clonmel a better place to, to live and work. Uh, I continue to do that as long as the people uh, of Clonmel put confidence in me to do that. All right. Well, good to see you today, Michael, and thanks very much indeed. And uh, we'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Tipperary Arts, funded by Commission Naman, with the television licence fee. Now, Declan Roach is one of Ireland's most successful dance teachers and after a show on Saturday night in Cork, we sat down and chatted about the social and fitness advantages of being able to dance. He began by telling me that he's coming to Mulnahone in Tipperary on this coming Friday night to begin classes there. I am indeed, Fran, yeah. I'm starting a line and jive, which was uh, very, very popular, became very popular before Christmas. So I'm starting at the Mulnahone Community Hall on this Friday night, half seven to nine, and uh, no partners required, which is which is great because you come and you get a bit of exercise and you get introduced to what the dancing is and we'll do uh, a lot of dances that would line dances that would be touched based on the social scene. Um, so Tipperary, so Tipperary is doing very 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 well for me. Um, I'm I'm currently in in Feathered, where I'm doing um, a social dancing class on a Monday night. Very 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 successful in the Feathered Ballroom. I'm in Ballingarry then on a Wednesday night, um, and this um, I've been asked to do the Monlahone on Friday night, which are very looking forward to doing um, and I'm also in Kilbenny on a Thursday night. Very good and one of the things that might put people off going is as you said you know you think you need a party you don't you need don't, a party. You don't and I think uh, you know what I try to do when I implement Fran and as you can see when, when, when you see at the social dancing events I make sure everybody's out and I, I incorporate I make sure and I, I try to do dances as well where you know two ladies could dance together um, and obviously the, 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 their man and the lady dance together so the opportunity is that you're not going to be sitting down. Yeah. So everybody's yeah. going to be up. So if you look at it from a line dance perspective, you know, you could do dances where you get the, the key fit and you dance to the music uh, that's popular on, at the moment uh, from uh, country and western side to the social dancing scene. And then you can also do uh, kind of dances that you don't need a set partner. You can dance with your girlfriend or you can dance with, you know, whoever's next to you. It's brilliant. And go along. Yeah. And also what I do with my social uh, uh, venues that I do on a Saturday or a Sunday night, as you've seen, as you've seen um, on previous occasions, Fran, I do kind of a mini uh, social dance, uh, kind of a practice. Yes. Uh, um, dance lesson yes. beforehand so I get everybody up and going so what would be popular currently I get them all go, going up and um, hopefully get familiar with what's currently popular at the moment We're, we're just off stage here in uh, Caratool and uh, we had a ball out there but uh, the Excuse Me dance is one that was new to me Yes and I, I believe like I suppose Fran go back to prior to our days but I was in um, Termalinas back in October and it was something that uh, was quite popular and uh, it, it's normally done through an old time waltz but last week we did it and as you did tonight we did it uh, to a foxtrot and it really 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 went really well and what it actually is is that it's not traditionally before where people go and tip you on the shoulder you actually you know when the, the musicians will say excuse me whoever's on your left or whoever on your right you just swap over you dance with the lady or you dance with the man and I'm not saying that you have to do it. Yeah, There's some yeah. couples that stay with their partner. But if somebody wants to share the love, 
There's plenty <laughs> of love on the dance floor throughout the social dancing scene throughout Munster and beyond. Isn't it great? Can you believe the way it's gone over the last few years? I mean, this often is the only social outlet for so many people. It is, Fran, and I suppose, look, we hate going back to the past two or three years, but we have to think about that. And a lot of people, you know, are still reluctant to come back through maybe a physical sense or a mental sense. But, you know, somebody said to me before that um, we missed a, a generation. Yeah. Obviously, our parents and our grandparents, it was the dance halls and whatever. And now it's fantastic that, you know, you see the jive and you see a lot of younger people going to the social dance and events and they're doing the waltz, they're doing the quick step and they're doing the jive. And so it's great to see and I think it's so important. But the one thing that... I drill in with people if I teach um, you know with people in school or I, I teach people on a you know that's starting off in life mm. that what you learn is like an apprentice what you learn on the dance floor will stand to you forever of course it will of and course it'll stand it will, to you yeah. from you know from a Debs level or a graduation level right to the day that you can actually get onto the dance floor but here's the question from somebody with two left legs can anybody can anybody learn to dance um do you know what fran if i i actually get more enjoyment seeing people coming in and you know you hear the expression to that feet um you know we all come in and we're a little bit um raw to a certain thing but I get more enjoyment when I see p- people coming in and they start to progress, learning bits and pieces. You, you move on to the slow dance like a foxtrot and then go on to the quick step and the old-time waltz. But what I noticed in the past number of years is it's not about people learning to dance, it's what they get out of it. As I say, when people come into a dance hall, whether they come into a class or come into a social dance, you don't know what they're going through. They could have a crap day at work, they could have a crap day at home, they could be stressed and whatever. But what you try and give as a musician, Fran, yourself and Muriel, or, or I as a dance teacher and as a promoter, is that you try to give them a, a, an hour or two that they switch off. Yes, yeah. And that's what dancing is about. People think it's all about steps. It's not about that. It is. Mm. Yeah, don't get me wrong, you have to get around the floor. But if you enjoy it and you switch off, like... Mm. I have crap days, you have crap days, yeah, we're busy with yeah. work. And when I go to do my dance classes, I have to make sure that the people that come in there are enjoying it to go back and they want to come back uh, next week. Because if I come in with a sour face on me, they're not going to come back. You know, and the people that come to the dance classes or the dancers are giving back to you as much as you want to give back to them. Isn't it that? But you're living in the moment as well. This mindfulness, I mean, this is exactly mindfulness, yes. isn't it? You're living right in the moment. You are, you have to, because, like, you know, you see people and, you know, without getting morbid on it, it's life short. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah and yeah. it's short, and, and dancing always have been a much more social dance, a much more a mature um, demographic. Yeah. But now it's becoming a younger demographic, which is fantastic. And the one thing that I notice... Um, that it's very, very difficult in other areas of work or other areas of, you know, life. The young, the mature, and never going because you're never old when it comes to dancing. The young and, and the more experienced people, they gel together. Yeah. And you, 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 you'll accept the experience from the dancers, and you're so proud to see the new people coming in because you need new blood. And that's in any course, yeah, in any yeah. environment, any work. New blood is the driver, and it's 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 the the, the machine to keep what we love yeah. doing keep going. I love to see how passionate you are about it, and I better tell uh, the listeners you're standing here now. You are still dripping. I'm dripping, <laughs> and um, I I I'm for my New Year's resolution, Fran, 2024, is to bring a T-shirt with me because <laughs> I haven't done that, and I've I've. 
got colds and lost my voice and <laughs> I've realised that you know you have to do these things but you do see those people because yeah. you know they bring face cuts they bring uh, extra shirts they bring extra t-shirts whatever people don't realise that dancing not only is it good for the mind it's good you will absolutely be sweating it's a great thing to keep fit it's a great keep to keep your mind going but most importantly it's a great great way of keeping your friendships going and meeting new people Brilliant. And that's so, what it's all about. this coming Friday night, you will be in Mullinahone for the first time. For the first right? time, yeah. Okay. I did a four-week line and joy, which has become very, very popular in uh, Mullinahone. Um, and also, as I say, Monday nights, I'm in the South Tip area. I'm in Feathered, which is going fantastic. Sean and Eileen and the, and the crew in the Feathered Ballroom. Uh, Wednesday, I'm in Ballingarry um, with um, Imelda. And then Friday then, I'm asked then to start in Monnahone, which is fantastic because, you know, it's great to see such an enthusiastic around a very localised area. And if anyone is in the, 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 the County Limerick area, I'm starting in, in Kilbehany, uh, for, uh, continuing on from a very successful uh, pre-Christmas four-week course on a, on a Thursday night from 9 to 10. And that's uh, my good friend uh, Declan Roach there, one of the finest uh, dance teachers in the country, coming to Mulderhone on Friday night. He assures me then uh, when it finishes before nine, they'll be making their way to, to Helen O'Felly in Cashel because I'll be there with uh, Muriel for what's going to be a very, very special night uh, indeed. I'll tell you more about that over the next uh, few days. All right, we need to take a break and we're back with uh, Global Politics. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, following my chat with uh, Councillor Michael Murphy, a lot of uh, very specific questions coming into us on uh, that Care to Waterford N24 project. And I would just guide you to the information um, opportunities. Uh, Care House today between 2 and 8. Uh, the Talbot in Clanmel tomorrow between 2 in the afternoon and 8 o'clock. Mooncoin uh, Community Hall uh, on the 25th uh, between 2 and 8. And then the Carrick Hotel in Carrick and Shore on the 26th. So that's uh, what's happening there. And you will get, I'm told, answers to uh, all of those various queries there. All right, then. It is time to look at what's happening globally and glad to be joined, as usual, by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. At Davos, uh, Thomas, is, I suppose, the big thing over the last uh, few days. A lot of conspiracy about what goes on there, a lot of speculation and stuff. Most of us just aren't sure. What is Davos all about? Well, I suppose first and foremost, Fran, it is a beautifully scenic Swiss mountain village. Yeah. And and that's evident. Anybody who has seen uh, the uh, the news videos and news reports will note that, you know, it's covered in snow. It's a beautiful, beautiful vistas, beautiful slopes. But really and truly, it's a gathering of the global elite. Essentially, this is where powerful people, world leaders and business executives all come together to kind of to shoot the breeze about what's happening in the international landscape. So they'll discuss relevant topics. It's been happening for years. It happens every January. So around this time, every year, you have a gathering in, in Davos, Switzerland, and 
usually the who's who of the international landscape show up there. Now, this year, there were a couple of notable absentees. I mean, you had no President Joe Biden there. You had no Rishi Sunak. I don't think Emmanuel Macron attended either, nor did Xi Jinping, the Chinese Premier. Mm. Uh, And obviously, Vladimir Putin wasn't going to arrive there. But you had representatives from each of those places. And was this a snub to Davos this year? Or was it just because of the complexity of what's going on I think they had other priorities. I mean, you look at Biden, he's he's busy with Trump in the States trying Mm -hmm. to counteract Trump and and the rest there. Uh, Similarly, uh, Rishi Sunak at home, airstrikes launched last night against the Houthis again. He's a very busy man, so... Practical uh, practical considerations have to be taken into account here. And that was essentially the reason why some of them didn't show. But as I said, there were delegates. Anthony Blinken, for instance, mm. the US Secretary of State, he was there. He gets around the place. He's been flying around the Middle East. He made a trip to Davos last week. And I think it was important that you had an American presence there. Because although Davos isn't... Uh, an international forum in the sense that it can change things. It's not like the UN, it's not like the EU, but it is a particularly significant hmm. gathering in terms of shaping kind it, of the it's conversation. It's influential, I suppose. It's influential, that it? that's yeah. the word for it. Yeah. That's the word for it. It's highly influential. And it influences not just, I think, the political elites, but the business landscape as well. A lot of You had a lot of business owners talking about the virtues and the pitfalls of AI, of artificial intelligence, that was a particularly interesting conversation. Mm. Our own Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, took part in a in a, uh, a forum to discuss that, which was mm. particularly interesting to listen to him and get his views on it because artificial intelligence is becoming an increasingly prominent topic uh, of conversation and of practical use for in sure, the workplace. For, for, for sure. Um, that coming together of commercial interests and politics... That's what's leading to the conspiracy theories and all of the speculation and the the anxiety, I suppose, about who's influencing who. Yeah, precisely. And and you, how, you kind of have to laugh at some of the conspiracy theories. Some of them are a bit topped. Others might have a grain of truth to them. Uh, like, I, for one, would love to visit Davos. It's a really exclusive event. Now, some will say it has to be, but I would argue open this up to the public a little bit more. Why not have public forums there where public, the members of the public, ordinary citizens can actually interact with these foreign leaders. Yeah, ask questions. Ask questions yeah. and actually collaborate with them and maybe create kind of a shared space for them to share ideas and and share yeah. their thoughts because at the moment it is quite exclusive, uh, you know, and people kind of... People kind of turn their heads to that. Did you not find it interesting, Thomas, that the theme this year, what was it, rebuilding trust or trust, something about... Rebuilding Rebuilding trust, trust, exactly. Did that not intrigue you? I mean, so where's the trust gone? Uh, I don't know, was the trust ever even there in the first place? That's the real question. And yeah, that's precisely it. I mean, there is a lack of trust, I think, between between the the elites, we'll call them Mm. the elites for now, and the ordinary working people. And that is one of the reasons why people like Donald Trump are doing so well in the United States at the moment. And we're seeing the the rise of far-right parties across Europe, across the international landscape. Uh, Narendra Modi in India, another one to rose to prominence. He had a very significant event yesterday. So we're seeing this growing detachment between between ordinary people and working citizens and it's fueling populism it's actually fueling it's it's adding fuel to the fire in terms of the movements like Trump's movement because he has gained the ability to connect with the ordinary voter 
uh, and say what you like about him, but he is a skilled politician when it comes to connecting with, with ordinary voters and to to getting his message through to the ordinary citizen. It is frightening then the repercussions of that. Uh, but events like Davos probably don't help the situation because they are viewed as very centred towards the elite. For for sure, and very complex too. And a lot of the issues, climate change, needless to say, huge in Davos. Hugely prominent, time. and it yeah. had to be, and it is every year. And and yeah. too right it is because it's such an important issue. But we'll we'll you know you mm. can make the argument that we're still just not doing enough. I mean the Paris Accord, and then of course if you, have, I'm digressing here, but if Trump gets back into the White House. I have all sorts of fears for the faith of the planet because, you know, his stance on climate change is indifferent, to say the mm. least. But it, it, a lot of what, well, certainly what I heard from Davos about agriculture worried me greatly. And I'm sh- and I'm not a farmer, so for farmers out there, they must be very concerned about what they've been hearing, yeah, particularly from John Kerry, I suppose. Yeah, indeed. John Kerry being the US climate yeah. envoy, uh, a prominent politician. Yeah, I saw him interviewed during the week. It is quite ominous because the agricultural sector does represent a significant share of global emissions. There's no point denying that. It's just a reality. At the same time, when you have kind of sustainable models like we have in Ireland, you can argue that there are many advantages to agriculture. So there there are two sides to every coin. There are arguments to be made on either side. Agriculture is a particularly difficult one. I think it's the it's the large-scale agricultural farms and mm. that, the, the, the ones taking place in Brazil and in countries across the globe which are inflicting the real damage. Now, in Ireland... It still accounts for a large share of our emissions. There's no point in denying that. In fairness to farmers, I don't think they will deny that either. But they will emphasise that they're doing their utmost uh, to uh, to reduce carbon emissions and probably doing a pretty good job, I think, in yeah, fairness I think, to them. I think most people will be in agreement. But I can understand after what I heard why they might be very anxious about the future. Yeah, farms, precisely. Uh, precisely. Where, where that is concerned. All in all, did a message emerge for you from, from Davos? Did, it did kind you? of turned out to be a little bit of a damn squib in the end. It it, it was unclear. Usually you have these groundbreaking statements. Maybe you have a landmark speech. And maybe it was the absence of Biden, the absence of Macron that contributed to this. But you didn't really have any breakthroughs on the key international issues. You know, we have no solutions to the war in in Israel or Mm -hmm. in Gaza. No solutions to the war in Ukraine. Uh, various other mm. conflagrations around Zelensky the planet. Zelensky was there, of course. Zelensky yeah. was there, yeah, yeah, yeah. pleading for more, uh, for more help and ensuring that that crisis is not forgotten and that is a very real danger. So a great report on BBC last night how the Ukrainian army are, are struggling for manpower and struggling for artillery power now uh, and that has to be a real concern and it has been overshadowed by the war in the Middle East. There's no point in denying that but it's still very much an active yes. and brewing conflict and a dangerous conflict for Europe. And before we even just to go back to your initial comment uh, that it is elitist and of course all over social media uh, I, I suppose the, the irony of, of the fact that the hypocrisy that these guys are jetting in on private jets into yeah. into this beautiful gorgeous place and telling us how we should live our lives yeah, in terms of carbon Yeah, they're not taking Ryanair yeah. budget, budget airlines, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that is, there is an irony in that yeah. and I think where leaders have to be put to question on that or you have to question yeah. their sincerity because actions do speak louder than words ultimately. Uh, and when you have th- that amount of fuel, that amount of fossil fuel, 
usage just in getting to the place in the first place, uh, it does kind of send out the wrong message. It, it, so. it does, agree. but I mean, it's the very same here. Now, now I'm digressing now. But uh, to see Eamon Ryan ready to shake hands with the uh, Chinese Premier uh, arriving in this huge uh, aeroplane, uh, China, as you know, what are, are they the, the worst in terms? Of probably the, the worst emitters globally, but we yeah. were too concerned about the beef deal with them. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, which is uh, anyway, anyway, uh, as as I say, I digress. Talk to me about what's happening in Northern Ireland, will you? Because again, uh, more sort of yeah, chaos, more stalemate chaos. up there, yeah. stalemate and chaos, and it really is chaotic now. This week, last week, we had the largest public sector strikes in history, I think, to take place, or certainly in a matter of decades, and it all stems from the fact that the Stormont executive is not up and running uh, and the longer it remains shut the more the people of Northern Ireland will continue to suffer and for clarity Thomas are the monies available for the people who were striking is it the, the case that Stormont is not up and running and that's, that's and that is preventing okay. the, the yeah. release of funds to them so it has been released in other parts of the UK yes. because they have stable and functioning governments in say Scotland Wales uh, the UK England itself uh, but because the Stormont executive is not up and functioning uh, there is no way of dispersing the funds you have civil servants running departments so you have these civil servants running around the place these are supposed to be working under uh, the politicians who are effectively trying to run the country up there uh, and doing their utmost to to keep the ship afloat. Uh, But they're struggling and they are struggling. There's no point in denying that. And the public are really becoming Mm. angry and aggrieved about it. There is no sign that Geoffrey Donaldson is, Geoffrey Donaldson being the leader of the Democratic Unionist Mm. Party, the main opposition party, he seems reluctant. The GUP seem reluctant to go back into power sharing principally because Sinn Féin is now the largest party up there and Michelle O'Neill will be given the job of First Minister, which is symbolic, it has to be remembered. Is that more the case that that's what's behind the reluctance of the DUP to go into Stormont, the fact that Sinn Féin will be, uh, have, have the first ministership. Yeah, is, I is think that there's, what it's about? and symbolism plays a huge yeah. part of it because the first and deputy first ministers are equal in terms of their powers. Yeah. Uh, they're actually, uh, their roles are, are egalitarian. They, they do the same things essentially. It's just the first minister has that symbolic uh, prominence as as the first citizen, I suppose, up there. And Michelle O'Neill would be slated to become mm. the first minister if Stormont gets back into operation because Sinn Féin is now the largest party. And that has unsettled many in the GUP. You can see why. You can see why. When there are, you know, rumours circulating about Irish nationalism and the prospect of an independent 32-county Ireland, why wouldn't the GUP be afraid? You do have sympathy for them because... uh, Nobody mm. wants to see division. Those you, old wounds. you might be sitting on your own in Tipperary, having sympathy for well <laughs> for the DUP. Well, I, I could. I'll retract that comment. Yeah, <laughs> Jeffrey Donaldson, maybe. Uh, yes, but in fairness to Donald, Donaldson him, himself, would he be softer in terms of? Like, I mean, is, is it is it the 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 others in his party that really would be I'm driving the thinking, hard line? On, yeah, on and that's motivated, in my opinion, because John, Donaldson is one of the softer voices. Yes. Even on Brexit, he took a slightly more nuanced approach than some of his party colleagues. You then had these hardcore within the DUP, kind of hardcore cohort of voters inside there and cohort of politicians who are really pushing uh, mm. an anti-Ireland line, uh, a pro-UK, pro uh, anti-EU stance and they are really prominent within the 
party and Jeffrey Donaldson listens to his party members he has to so he is dictated by the grassroots members of the party they're not the only unionist party in town of course you have the Ulster Unionist Party led by Doug Beattie you have the traditional Ulster voice which is led by a man called Jim McAllister who are even more extreme sure. now they're, they're yeah. a very small faction albeit but they are even more extreme than the DUP themselves uh, and would take even more extreme positions so it's very interesting to see the dynamics of it and, uh, and what about the, the Northern Irish uh, Secretary uh, Heaton Harris I mean how, how is he performing throughout this? Yeah, he, not well in, in, in short not well he has uh, he, he is threatened to intervene he has sort of kind of put his hand in to intervene at times and and done so reluctantly. He has failed to get the assortment of executive back and running, up and running. Julian Smith, the man who was in there a couple of years ago, I think has been the best Northern Ireland secretary that I've come across. He worked with the likes of Simon Coveney to restore yeah. the executive in, I think it was 2021, Christmas 2021, and it got up and running for a while back then. Heaton Harris, this new guy, is... Uh, I won't say he's indifferent to, to Stormont, but certainly his efforts aren't being met with results. He is, he's not managing to resurrect the executive. He's not managing to, to inspire anyone that he's able to resurrect the executive. So, mm. you know... A Brexiteer, wasn't he? A Brexiteer, a Brexiteer. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rishi Sunak, Rishi Sunak yeah. was also a Brexiteer and Sunak will have been keeping an eye on this, but it's not the main priority in Downing Street right. at the moment. And I presume that Dublin has to be very nuanced uh, for fear of adding fuel to the fire. As in always, terms of their, as their, always. Their and it is a, it's a particularly, for Leo and Mial Martin, it, it is a particularly difficult one in Northern Ireland because you have to be seen to, to express an opinion, I suppose, to get your opinion and your point across. But there's also an element that you can't intervene excessively uh, and you yes. can't stick your hand in too much. So it is, they, they have to tread on thin ice when they're making comments about Northern Ireland. But I mean, no doubt they will be concerned as as will everybody else down here when they see these massive public sector strikes. It doesn't bode well for Northern Ireland, for the future of Northern Ireland, because the sooner that executive is back up and running, the better for everyone who is concerned. Well, that's for, that's for certain. Um, as usual, we've almost run out of time. Whenever you and I get chatting, we, we sort of run over time. So will you just tell us what we should be looking out for uh, over yeah. the coming week or so? Plenty of, plenty of things happening. Plenty yeah. of things happening. Can Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, she is predicted to announce her candidacy for a second term soon enough. Uh, I think within the next month or so, that should become clear. And she is all but almost certain uh, to announce uh, a, second, a second run at How the European did she survive? President. Yeah, how did she survive? That is the question, because she made those controversial statements and actions in relation to Israel. Uh, standing shoulder to shoulder. Standing with, shoulder to shoulder, essentially, yeah. with Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. It sparked the ire of many politicians across Europe, including members of her own European People's Party, including many other German citizens. She's a German herself. But she has managed to survive that. I think she's a very industrious character. She has a... You know, she has a hard work ethic, is said to sleep in her office in the Berlinmont building uh, overnight, uh, such is her work ethic. So she's a real goer and she's a real doer. And in fairness to her, she presided over Europe during the time of a pandemic, uh, a brutal war, which is still ongoing. Uh, she has a number of things going for her and a number of achievements which she can tout. Uh, but she is kind of lucky to still be in the post there. Very interesting. Um, we spoke about climate change uh, earlier on when we were talking about Davos, the EU got its first uh, climate report card. Um, it's not good. It's not that. good at all, no. And, I mean, these are signs that 
uh, things like the Paris Agreement, the, the Paris Accord, the oblig- our obligations are not being met, essentially. It's not, it's not time for Green Deal fatigue just yet. We still have, I think there is still a window of a couple of years to, to, to offset emissions and to bring them down. I don't think it's as imminent as, as maybe people will have you think. We had the summit, of course, in Dubai, the COP summit at the end of last year. There was a little bit of progress, a little ray of sunshine at the end of that, which would suggest the governments are slowly, very slowly and gradually moving towards uh, a more sustainable, a more sustainable model. But essentially, this this recent report card published about the EU was all bad results, uh, and you know it didn't bode well for for the continent's uh, prospects either. Interesting. And uh, just uh, finally and briefly, if you would, well, what's happening with uh, Mr. O'Leary and Ryanair? Yeah, I always like a good Michael O'Leary story because he always <laughs> he says it as it is. In fairness to yeah. him, he's come out now. There's a new uh, kind of a proposal to launch a single European sky, which would be like the common traveling area of the skies if you like uh it would allow jets to uh to fly around european airspace unhindered and and access the various airports which they can they can essentially do anyway but o'leary has in, has argued that it has kind of fragmented since 2004 since it was first introduced so he's trying to get that proposal put back on the table uh, and that is the essence of this one. He's controversial, Michael O'Leary, but sometimes he can get it right. And when he is, when he has an opinion, he will state it, and he will state it clearly and unequivocally. That's what he's doing here. He's putting the pressure on EU leaders to uh, to live up to to expectations. And you know, he's probably he's probably it's probably warranted his calls. Interesting as always. Thanks, Thomas. We'll try and see uh, where the budget is concerned. If we can send you to Davos, uh, yeah, time. hopefully. I'm I'm <laughs> waiting for my my credentials to arrive. You being one of the elites of North it's... Tipperary, that was always a pleasure. Thanks very Thanks, much Fran. indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience with over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans. We like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage. Puck on! On 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, uh, Pat. Huge response to my chat there with uh, Thomas about Davos. And there's a lot of people out there very unhappy about that sort of uh, merging of commercial interests and politics and uh, all of that. I can understand uh, why you would be concerned uh, about it too. I saw some of the most um, really, really strange stuff go on uh, out there as well. If you're following it on social media, you'll know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Listener says, did Councillor Eddie Moore not just say to you on the radio that there was work being done on the pedestrian crossing in Templemore uh, as he was speaking? And he even said that he saw them working this morning. And he praised the workers as well. I'm after passing twice since 8am this morning and there's been no work done there. And the barriers haven't even been moved from either side of the crossing. So, uh, and it goes on to, to make another comment as well. So, I don't know. Uh, anybody in Templemore, can you can you give us some clarity on that? What's happening with the new pedestrian crossing that appears to be rather concerning there to say the very least alright then it is time for this for every problem there's a solution Dear Phil on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast would you go up to Temple Moore and sort 
out the problems up I'll there, Phil. Sort out everything. Now, if I was running for election, <laughs> I'd be up there as we speak with a placard. <laughs> do you know, I'm just thinking about that, actually. You know, now that you're no longer in politics, do you, do you think back to those days where you would actually be sort of concerned about all, everything and anything and see, phones you, ringing? And yeah, but the, the thing about it is, I suppose you have to put a context on everything, Fran, because you can only be in one place at one time yeah. and there's no point in trying to spread yourself around. So you're better off, I think, to be very vigilant about things that you commit to doing for people and honestly follow that through and try and conclude it and try and have it a positive outcome. And you mean not be everything to everybody? You can't be everything to everybody, but that's not to say that collectively, as a group of people or councillors, that people are not having an awareness. For instance, I do remember one time getting terrific praise for something that had happened because I happened to have been canvassing in the area. But it was another politician that actually got that work concluded and I got the praise for it. Right. And did, so, you, did you hold your hands up and say... I did. I said that was Seamus Seely did that. Right. Okay. Because it was point. the old bridge and it was. But it's just that the woman associated me as having done it because I also took the representation because I actually canvassed to her house. So you have to be... You get your hands up and say, actually, do you know what? That, that wasn't mm. I that did it. Um, but collectively, we all work. But if somebody try. did that... At my door, I, I'd be delighted that somebody would have the you-know-what to say, look, you know, thanks, but that wasn't me, it was so-and-so, you know. I'd- yeah, but you see, I suppose there some people contact every representative and ask them to do things and they will give the praise to whatever party might suit them or whatever person might suit them. Right. But there are people that would be long enough in the business to know exactly how to get things done, how to follow up on it, when to follow up on it and to keep in communication with the person that asked you to do something. There are other people that are going to ask every single person to do it and whoever gets back to them first saying that's, that's sorted now. Saying it's sorted doesn't mean that they sorted it. It means that but, the person that might have yeah, met the representative. So you need, you need, you need to be, I suppose, very fair and equal to people. So it's, mm. it's just, it's one. Do of you know, I was talking things. to Councillor Michael Murphy this morning. I was just making the point to him. I think it was off air. I made the point to him that this time round, from what we're getting in here, it's a totally different vibe and mood out there. I'd hate to be knocking on anybody's door. See, I think the whole concept of knocking on doors is gone because communication now is the whole social media thing. So people would actually have training in the social media aspect and how to promote themselves. There really is, I I think myself, there's a whole mood change in, in the way people canvas. Knocking on doors, I don't think, is the thing anymore. People don't want, you get so many doors that have no canvassers yeah, sure. and no um, no electioneering. They People don't want it. If they want to know who they're supporting or what they're supporting, they're going to use the medium of radio, they're going to use the medium of social media, they're going, and of course you need now to be very, very careful because with AI you wouldn't know what's going to come up and it can look very, very believable because that's the whole thing with um, artificial intelligence. You don't know how that that runs with people. So, yeah, there's... There's probably, there's there's a lot to be said, I suppose, for when people went in their crowds to church on a Sunday of having yeah. the big tra- tractor or the trailer outside. The simple, simple people, times. The simple, simple times, times, yeah. But, yeah. you know, yeah, things have changed. We have to advance with the times. People's means of getting their message out is good. What we have really, I think, uh, around the country 
are very experienced councillors who are doing the work. If they get the work and people continue to support them, they're going to get elected and there will be people that will go to doors and be so disillusioned and just so... I suppose, beaten down yeah. because mm. um, if the word gets out, well, they, you know, you'll hear all sorts of things. You'll yeah. hear all sorts of things where people and uh, can be very hard time. I'm sure it can indeed. Always glad to be out of it. Le- <laughs> I was going to ask you that, but I said I wouldn't. You are glad to be out of it, yeah, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, she says with a big smile. Um, all right, then, the letters. Letter one, Phil. Dear Phil, I'm hoping you can help me with a problem that seems to be building. I'm in my 30s with three kids and a full-time job. I have a group of friends who I've known since school and we're really close. We tend to organise a night out for a lunch or a coffee every couple of weeks, but I've had to decline the last few weeks because of stuff on with the kids, birthday parties, sport, that kind of thing. My friends were understanding at first, but now they say I have to get better organised and make the time to meet them. It's not that easy for me because my husband works full time. He also works on a farm in the evenings and weekends. So when it comes to the kids, I'm on my own. I don't mind that, but it's the pressure for from my friends that uh, that is really annoying me. They have now even started to put up some mean text on our WhatsApp group saying everybody is invited but they know I won't go. I find it really upsetting. I've tried to explain the situation but they say I can make the time if I really want to. I feel like I'm going to be dropped out of this friend group and if that happens I will lose my oldest friends but I can't see a way out. What should I do, Phil? Well, I think the last sentence is just sad, isn't it? Isn't I will it lose my oldest friends, yeah. but I can't see a way out of it. I think her friends are being very thoughtless because three young children, a full-time job and a husband that works with no Seven time off. Week. What yeah. is wrong with these people? I mean, they could, if they want to, while if I'm sure or I'm not sure, there may be children not even at school age yet. So, I mean, this is a very busy lady. Why would they decide to be using social media, even if it's a contained group, to actually do that? That's kind of subliminal bullying. So, I mean, I I would have every sympathy for this woman. And I think when she put up the mean text or when she read the mean text, she should put back up, you're actually wrong about this. My whatever year old has a party this week, a dental appointment for another child, another one starting school or bedwetting or whatever it might be that keeps this woman busy, who's also working. Mm, So, I mean, I don't know when they would fit in the old, um, you know, lunches and stuff like that, unless it's a weekend. And we all know that weekends tend to be valuable family time or at least time for catch-ups and organising and all that needs to be done. So... I don't think she's going to lose her old friends, but I do think that she needs to kind of... um, And it would be better if she did it with them. So she should invite them to her house um, for the coffee. They can bring their own cakes or whatever it is they want, if that's what they want to do. Or they can do a nighttime visit or whatever. But she needs to say to them, I am really busy. Mm -hmm. This is not about not wanting to be with the girls having a great time. I'm thinking about my child that's not meeting his developmental processes. I'm worried about my husband working day and night. I'm worried about what, you know, I'm worried Mm -hmm. about lots of things. I haven't time for the frivolity of 
you know, going out for a social occasion mm. when my mind is very much occupied on other things. And I presume she would love to have that time, but she she just doesn't. She obviously know? doesn't, yeah. because if you listen to and, and say, you're like, she's in her 30s with three kids and a full-time job. So do we presume that her friends don't have kids? Because if they did, surely they well, would understand. they certainly don't seem to have any cognizance of how busy... Um, yeah. I mean, the woman had... A couple of weeks of stuff like birthday parties, sports and that kind of thing. So obviously there's a lot of toing and froing for every busy parent. You're trying to expose your children, I suppose, to as many social activities as possible, keep them healthy and keep them fit. But like you cannot be all things to all people. This woman actually needs time for herself. It would be very nice if her friends got together and said, you know what, and if they have no kids or whatever their story is, like, listen, let's dilute it. Let's all go to the park with all our children, if they have children, and just have a picnic or whatever. Now, I know the weather today is not really suitable for that. Not so really conducive not to really, that, no. But there are indoor, um, you know, centres now where, where people yeah. can go. Um, I think they need to start giving the woman a hard time. She's just yeah. very, and, very busy. Uh, and she shouldn't worry about losing her oldest friends because if they're really her friends they should stop the old bullying because that that doesn't sound very nice to just say you won't bother. It's not that this one won't bother. It's because she's as busy as a bee. For sure. Um, Let's go to our second letter then, Phil. Dear Phil, my friend has stopped speaking to me over a mistake I made online. I'm fascinated with this uh, letter actually because I know of a situation where this happened uh, as well. Uh, I'm in my 50s and one of my best and oldest friends invited me to her daughter's wedding. I was delighted to go because obviously I have known her since she was a child and was delighted to share in the special day. I took pictures on the day and the day after. I put up a post on Facebook congratulating the couple and thanking them for a lovely day. That afternoon, my friend rang me fuming that I had posted a picture of the couple with my post and demanded that I take it down. I was mortified at first that I had posted a bad picture or the wrong picture, but she explained that it's a rule that you would never post a picture of the bride before the bride posts herself. I said I had no idea and I was sorry and I would take it down straight away. I did take it down immediately and let my friend know I apologised profusely and left her alone to cool down. I messaged her again a week later, again apologising and asking could I take her out for a coffee, but I got no reply. I've sent a number of messages now and tried to call her, but she won't respond to me. I'm so upset over it. I never meant to offend anyone and I don't know how to fix it. What should I do? Oh, I, say, do you know what? I, I know of a situation where this happened. Yeah, before. and you know what? Yeah. It's so sad because people are really not aware, I suppose, that when you are taking photographs of people, you, you really should have permission. This woman genuinely made a mistake. She genuinely did not know that mm. this is not considered there was the no right thing to do. no malice in this whatsoever. Absolutely no intention yeah. to be hurtful. Or and at the end of the day, it wouldn't have made a huge difference. But the glory of the day is the bride, the marriage, the groom, who's wearing what, who went where and who did what. And of course, her 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 friend, the mother of the bride, is absolutely furious with her. But the poor woman didn't know that this is not the done thing. Now you might say, Shush, she should have she should have known. How do you? I, I'm so glad I left Facebook behind because you can get into so much trouble with things. But I mean, there's a lot of things and we spoke very briefly earlier about AI, the artificial intelligence. Things can be 
taken from the ether now and put up in a post that is so believable. They, they, the, the whole concept of doing something with malice is very different from doing something with innocence. This mm. woman acted in innocence. She has apologised. She apologised again the following week um, and asked could she make some degree of retribution, bring her out for a coffee and genuinely is suffering remorse over this. She has sent a number of messages and she has tried to call her and the woman will not respond to her. I maybe think maybe she should write her a text or a letter or something just say this was a very very genuine error I really am sorry I did not realise I was encroaching on the whole system that mm. operates around weddings and photographs and all the rest of it my advice to anyone would be don't take any pictures of anyone without their permission express permission and certainly don't put them up publicly when mm. it's not your day it's you are a guest of course, at that. Yes. But, but that's, this woman did not know. That's relatively recent, that real hard rule that you don't put up pictures a before the A lot of people bride, friend, would not be aware of it because I was asking, when I got my letters, I and I just thought, yeah, I, I'm going to ask a few people what they would think about this. Yes. A lot of them said, well, like, if, if you don't have something in writing saying, actually, photographs on the day not to be published until whatever a certain amount of time has passed. And if you have a protocol in place and people adhere to it, that's great. Yes. This woman genuinely made a mistake. She's very, very contrite and her friend is mad as a hornet. Won't speak to her. <laughs> She's, yeah. <laughs> I see. Uh, well, I mean, I have huge issues with the fact, I mean, you go out to play a few tunes now and somebody is videoing you and it's up on social media before you, you know it. And you, but, Fran, you that's know, because like, you're gorgeous, talented Do you hear this? beautiful yeah, people yeah, just want yeah, that yeah, yeah. But, but again nobody seems to ask your permission is it okay if I do this like you, know? you see there's an assumption there that if you are if you like providing a service in a public way that you they should be able to do whatever they like the problem with that is people can take photographs and they can then make suggestions around that photograph about who you were with who was in the company or who was there course, so yeah. you're also taking pictures of other people that are not aware they're being photographed that is where the problem lies i think we're gone we if you see everybody has a phone or a means to take a photograph all of the time. There's now covert cameras. There's now cameras that are disguised as pens in your pocket. There's that are disguised as brooches or badges or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And kind of brooches are sort of gone out, aren't they? Oh, no, I, think. I, I like brooches. Yeah. I like the idea of brooches. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's a real difficulty, Fran. And I think there should be a kind of maybe an acceptance that. Uh, if it's not your wedding and not your relative, but it is your friend, that it's not your right to post things on social media, whatever the medium is. Um, and to be careful, the poor woman is absolutely appalled that she has broken, broken, uh, you know, an acceptance that this is not the prerogative of her to post things. All right, our third letter then, Phil. I decided for the new year that I would get healthy, try to get fit and lose some weight. So I started a healthy diet and uh, decided to join the gym. I bought myself a year's membership so that I wouldn't have the excuse to back out. But now I'm really regretting it. I really hate going to the gym. I dread it. I know how you feel. I only go uh, three or four times a week, but I always feel really old and out of place. 
I'm much heavier than a lot of the people there and it makes me really self-conscious. I've tried to distract myself with music and podcasts, but it just doesn't work. I tried going at a different time of day, but I still feel the same. I don't enjoy it the way other people seem to, and I'm just getting through it. Should I just take the financial hit and try something else, or should I just suck it up and keep going? I don't know what to do, but it's making me miserable. I feel the pain. Ah, uh, the poor woman. Yeah. Um, as you know, <laughs> Fran, I, I go to a gym yep. about three times a week. Um, I'm very old. <laughs> You're not very I'm, old I'm not exactly svelte. I don't mind. The gym that I go to is is has a, a person that gives you the workout and then any modifications you need to make to that workout because of injuries, recovering injuries or simply because of your an age related or whatever. It's taken care of. Nobody looks at anyone else. Nobody is interested in how fat you might be, how unfit you might be. This morning I was trying to do a pull-up, standing on a big thick elastic band, and my I had to call, said, come over here, my hinges won't work in my arms. <laughs> Look, I'm able to do that. He said, just get a kettlebell instead and do a few swings, which is fantastic because yes. you're never made to feel. And, and there's if you were to compare yourself to other people in the gym, honest to God, you're not really in the gym to do stuff. You're in the gym to look at other people that are going to be way better than you, way younger than you. Um, Most of the gyms now, nobody is actually looking at someone else and and saying, oh God, you know, this this is just not for me. They will really, really, really enjoy that gym once they get out of the self-conscious period of time. She has paid a hefty subscription for a whole year. She shouldn't dream of thinking about it. She shouldn't dream of of stopping it. She should just go and proceed. She will find that nobody is looking at her. And if she has a difficulty... Her trainer will be there and will notice they're very quiet. There's no big stop the music. I want to talk to number three there or whatever. That does not happen in any gym. People will just come. Now, I mean, there's different types of gyms. If there's a gym where you just go pay your subscription, you go in and you pick a machine and you go off and you do all sorts of things on that. It's different because you're not really being trained. Mm. You're paying to go to a gym to use machines. If you go to a gym that actually has fitness instructors and trainers who are going to take cognizance of your age, your fitness levels and then work towards what you need for yourself. That's how most of them do it now. And it's very satisfying and there really is no other thing. Like, I mean, I'm 64. I really and truly don't think, really, are you getting a bit old for this? I go in and I do what I can. And as you know, I I could break four legs if I had them, but, you know. But I, I last week decided, I saw an ad on, on Instagram or one of those about Dance Yourself Fit and off I took myself to it. Well, I had the best Did crack. you? I did, yeah. Now, yeah. I, I have three left feet. And I really, really enjoyed it. That hour was one of the best hours of my Isn't week. Isn't that brilliant to Absolutely. be able to Absolutely. And not only that, there was another 20 people there. And there would have been people that were my age and older and then young and all the rest of it. Nobody was looking at anyone else because we were looking at the instructor who was a waif, but a brilliant waif. And the music was great. And there was cha-cha-chas going on and click-click-clicks. And that was, on my, <laughs> that, was, that was only my bones. But it was great crack. So this poor woman should just... Keep going with it. Maybe have a chat with her instructor if that's what she has, if that's the kind of gym. Yes. Otherwise, you know, 
just go, keep going, doing what she can. And if there's 10 reps on something, as in repetitions, maybe she should aim for six reps or eight reps. And, you know, so that she has less to do in the time and she will get there. Mm, And enjoy it. And really enjoy it. And the social aspect as well, because they do have Christmas parties and they do have get-togethers and they do have walks up sleeve mon, which is absolute murder. Mm -hmm. And, um, but very, very fun-filled events and they're good crack. Well, Great advice as always. Phil, great to see you and thanks very much indeed. And uh, Thank yeah, you, Fran. The gym membership. I, I actually pay, <laughs> I paid for a full year membership and never used the gym one time. Can oh, you believe fuck. that? And I'll tell you why. I went into the particular gym and there's nowhere around here and I spoke to the gobdaw who was supposed to be the trainer and he put me off to the point that I never went back after paying the full amount of money. You know? Well, I went well, to I a gym one like time, it. Fran, and I, there was now, and this is the, I kind of felt this, but um, and it was a good few years ago, and I'm not mentioning, we'll never mention any gyms, but um, I was this this gorgeous creature came in and and took my machine that I was supposed <laughs> to be on next, right? And of course, the instructor kept chatting with her and, and doing all that needed to be done, and he said to me, and so I was standing there, and he said, "Take a kettlebell and go out and a walk around the building." So I went out with the kettlebell and when I came back in, he was still chatting to one and he sent me out again and I came back in and of course I, I got pure... Th- now I was paying weekly or monthly or whatever and I said, uh, I can go home, I said, and walk up and down my garden with a kettlebell, I said, and pay you nothing. Well I said, done. that's what I'm going to do. So I fecked <laughs> off luck now. from that gym. Good luck now. All right, thanks Phil. Thanks very much. We'll take a break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, Mag says, I was uh, bullied by a group uh, that I thought were my friends. Uh, two of them, uh, though, as, as it turned out, didn't want me in the group, so now I'm not asked out anywhere and uh, none of the others in the group stood up for me, says Mags. Well, Mags, I'm sorry to, sorry to hear that. This is something we'll get back to on the programme tomorrow, I promise. The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. And the Queen of Conspiracy, Ali, is uh, with me. What have you got for us today, Ali? Well, what we're talking about today is what is deemed as the most haunted house in the world, and that is called the Winchester Mansion. It's an incredible house. It's in San Jose in California, one of the largest and most, has to be said, one of the most bizarre houses in the world. Huge house, 24,000 square foot. It has 160 rooms. It has 17 Uh chimneys. 47 fireplaces, three elevators and more than 10,000 panes of glass. But what makes it bizarre is that it has doors that lead to 12-foot drops, doors that open onto brick walls, staircases that lead to brick walls and rooms that have absolutely no doors or windows. So, as I said, reported to be one of the most haunted buildings in the world. The reason for this, the woman behind the house is a lady called Sarah Winchester. Now, Sarah Winchester was the heir of the Winchester fortune. Now, I'm sure you the name probably rings mm. a bell. The Winchester family became very, very wealthy in the late 1800s because they invented and developed the Winchester rifle. 
and that at the time was the first repeating firearm. Before that had been invented, people had to load each shot. And it's often been claimed that the invention of this rifle is often identified as one of the turning points in the American Civil War. So Sarah Winchester, who was formerly Sarah Pardee, she married the heir of the Winchester fortune, William Wirt Winchester, in 1862. But of course, with the arrival or with the invention of the Winchester rifle, it came with or resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of people. But with that, though, it made the Winchester family extremely wealthy. And at the time, they were the wealthiest family in the world because of that invention. But tragedy would follow that wealth and that luck. On June 15th of 1866, Sarah gave birth to a baby girl named Annie Pardee Winchester and she was named in honour of William's late sister who had died just a few months previously uh, during childbirth. The child that Sarah had given birth to suffered from marasmus, which is the old, the old-timey way of, of saying dehydration or malnutrition. And that baby died within a month of her birth. The couple were absolutely devastated by that. Sarah, in particular, took it very very hard. She completely withdrew from society and remained secluded for almost a year. Now, during that time, they were working on the construction of their home. This was the Winchester Mansion. This was on Prospect Hill. So, as part of that, Sarah tried to distract herself and became completely um, consumed and involved in architecture and design. And it became a lifelong hobby then for Sarah who also at the time learned about real estate investment and financial strategies. And of course, she was in no better family to to learn from that. And she was really a woman ahead of her time because women normally wouldn't have taken any interest in architecture at that time. So really threw herself into building this house. It was completed in 1868. At the time it was first built was about 20,000 square foot, had over 20 rooms with marble floors, decorative fireplaces and chandeliers, large bay windows, plasterwork ceilings, a circular drive in front, luxurious and beautiful and really ahead of its time as well and very modern for its time as well. But then tragedy was again to follow for Sarah. In June 1869, her dad died at the age of 60 from what they believe at the time was rheumatoid arthritis. Then between 1880 and 1881, Sarah lost three more close family members. Her mother died in May of 1880. Her father-in-law, Oliver Winchester, died in December of that same year. And then most heartbreakingly for Sarah, her husband died from TB in March of 1881. So after her husband's death, Sarah essentially had lost everyone in her life, both her parents, her baby, her in-laws, even her husband. So all of the Winchester family and her own family were effectively gone for Sarah. Sarah, as a result, of course, inherited this huge fortune and was one of the richest people in the US at the time. But she was completely consumed by grief. And she went to a psychic and she developed this huge interest in psychics and trying to connect with her loved ones who'd passed away. Now, paranormal investigator Mitchell Whittington wrote about Sarah's story. He explained how one particular visit with a psychic would set in train what was to follow. She went to a Boston psychic uh, whose name was Adam Coons, and he was not able to make the contact that she was looking for, but he did have an answer for her. What the psychic tells her will haunt her for the rest of her life. He told her that what she was experiencing was a curse. She was the sole heir to the Winchester repeating rifle fortune. And so all the spirits of all the people who had been killed in the United States uh, by the Winchester repeating rifles were coming back to get their vengeance on her. He came up with a strategy for her 
that would allow her to deal with the spirits. And that strategy was to build a house. If she built a big enough house where they could hang out, more or less, that they would, uh, they would stop trying to, to hurt her and her family. More and more spirits were going to be coming along because even as they were talking, more and more people were being killed by Winchester repeating rifles. Faced with this ghostly message from the netherworld, Sarah embraces a curious solution. She will simply keep building her home for as long as she lives. Good God, and that's what she did, essentially. That's what she it? did. She became obsessed with this warning that everyone who'd been shot by a Winchester rifle was going to haunt her, and all she could do was keep building onto her house to try and fool the spirits into not finding her. So she became completely obsessed with the house, and there was um, work going on at the house every day for four decades. She hired teams of workers. They worked day and night. She had a day crew and a night crew. Every day there was new plans and new blueprints being drawn up of rooms that she would design in ways to try and avoid the spirits that she believed were haunting her. Here's Mitchell Whittington again. She hired a uh, team of carpenters and Sarah would actually tell them exactly where to build and what she wanted. She had a number of uh, people working there all day long, all night long. Uh, they say the hammering never stopped. She would put in odd staircases that went to nowhere. She would put in trap doors. She would put in doors that you opened up and there was a wall behind. So if the spirits were wandering around, they would get confused and they would hopefully leave her alone. She would sleep in a different bedroom every night so the spirits would never know exactly where she was. And she would always take a different path to uh, the, the bedroom so they would hopefully throw the spirits off. She continued with seances as well. She did, she? strangely enough, because, I mean, if you're trying to avoid spirits, probably not a good idea to have seances, mm. but she would conduct nightly seances in the house, trying to both appease the spirits that were there, but also try to contact her loved ones who'd passed away. The number 13 was also uh, heavily featured in the house, and Mitchell explains why. And Sarah thought that the number 13 was a good number. It represented safety. So she put the number 13 throughout the house. Uh, there's 13 railings in the hallways, 13 steps on the staircase, uh, 13 cupolas in the, the greenhouse, 13 uh, lights on the chandelier. Uh, there's 13 bathrooms in the house. And the 13th bathroom has 13 windows. Uh, the room leading into it has 13 panels on the walls. And there's 13 steps leading up to it. And if you go to the sink and look in the drain, there's 13 holes in the drain. 13's everywhere you look. My God, she was mentally ill, obviously. She was, think? I think she was just consumed with grief, with grief. and with yes. guilt, I think, because she was such a wealthy woman and that wealth came through the deaths of so many people and I think that weighed very heavily on her. So the work continued on the house for nearly over four decades. Work only stopped in the house when Sarah died in 1932. And when news reached the workers that she had passed away, they downed tools after nearly four decades of work. But because of that and because of the story of it, it is deemed the most haunted house in the world at the moment. Now, Dr Shelley Kerr is a paranormal investigator. She believes that Sarah was conned by that psychic. And then she went through her seances, opened a portal into the house. So here's what she says. I believe in cursed objects. I believe in cursed places such as the Winchester house. I believe she was cursed initially by the psychic who she met in Boston. Her discomfort with the family business combined with her grief made her very susceptible to the message that the psychic gave her. 
I believe she was speaking to many of the people who were killed by the Winchester rifle. She basically invited them in by believing what the psychic told her. She created a vortex and the spirits were coming through telling her how to build the house. And I believe at that point they began tormenting her. So poor Sarah, and that house still stands to this day. It's been open to tourists since 1923. Now, even though many see Sarah now as a kooky, crazy woman who was just consumed by mental illness, she's actually considered now to be an innovator in terms of architecture. So when you look at the house, I mean, she designed and built elaborate plumbing systems that were totally ahead of their time. She designed this very interesting, tiny little corner fixture that you'd put into a corner of a stairs, just a very small little triangular metal thing. And that would stop dust gathering in corners. That was totally innovative of its time. She also invented this way of opening floors, uh, floorboards, to allow plants to be watered and to sit in that kind of hole. And she also developed a communication system for her servants throughout the house. But because of the attention the house got, I think it is the subject of a lot of study and research by paranormal groups. But in all of those investigations, and I've gone through as many as I could find, I could not find one strange spooky picture or audio or video ever recorded in that house. So I don't truly believe that it's haunted to the degree that a lot of people say it's the most haunted house in the world. I mean, it's been researched by so many groups online. And if you go down through whatever you can find online, you can't find anything. Hmm. So I'm not convinced. But was she the conduit for these spirits or something? And when she died, is that... Yeah. Now, the the people who are there now, the guides at the house, do believe that Sarah is now haunting the house, which is quite... Poor old Sarah. She couldn't escape ghosts even when she had died. Um, But, you know... Obviously, you have to be a bit cynical too. It could be a very clever marketing ploy. This is a house that's been around for 200 years nearly now. And, and it's the tourist a huge, attraction. Yeah, tourist attraction. Yeah. But it's an interesting story, but a very sad story about poor Sarah Winchester. All right, if people want to look it up and see pictures of the house, it's the Winchester Mansion. The Winchester along, Mansion. A beautiful house. Stunning, right. but very strange. Great to see you, Ellie. Thanks, Thanks very Fran. much indeed. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by our psychotherapist, uh, Susan O'Donoghue. Good morning to you, Susan. And uh, can I still say Happy New Year again? You can, because I didn't can. see you. Happy right. New Year, well, Fran, happy, and good happy morning. Happy New Year to you. You're going to talk to us today about self-esteem and how maybe we could improve it. For most of us, it's an issue, isn't it? I would think so because I think that it's fear blocks us, isn't it? And, you know, that's our story then related to that. But I suppose if we start with uh, what confidence is and what competence is, you know, because a lot of people get confused between the two. And I suppose competent is that I've learned my lessons, I've done the background, I've known the information, you know, I have everything I need. But then to have the self-esteem to go out and do it is a whole different other thing. And I think our self-esteem is impacted by our story, you know, uh, and we can have a pseudo-confidence as well, can't we? Well, where we pretend, is that it? It's kind of, you know, I, I would I would say it's like, for me, my own personal example would be like, 
say, years and years ago when I was young, <laughs> I was in New York and I would have been in a design studio, right? Now, I have no clue about clothes, but I was running the office. So I would have went into, say, the likes of Calvin Klein's office and Donna Cairns, and I would have met these people, right? And I would have went in there and I would have had my spiel. That's what I'd call it, right? Mm. So I'd have it off. They'd love you because you're Irish. They'd, you know, to go down like a charm. And I had it off to a T. Took a while. That's a pseudo-confidence. Right. Yeah. Now speak about what's going on inside for you. Do the work I do. Go stand in front of people and talk about what's really happening inside for you, what feelings are coming up, how it is for you. You can't fake that. You can try, but people will know. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's very hard to fake that. That's a real kind of self-esteem and confidence that you're you're safe within yourself. Does that make sense? It does make mm. sense, yeah. yeah. And and if you continue with that sort of facade, is is that bad for you, is that? I wouldn't say it's bad for you, right? Because when you think about it, no matter what we do, we're always creative, right? And there's no right or wrong. Mm. It just means that maybe there was threats out there for us growing up, right? Mm. And we've learned very wisely now, right? Like, I, I, I'm, as I said before, I think we're so creative and so ingenious. Mm. But we've learned wisely that there's threats in the way. So now I'm going to unconsciously, right? Not even, there's a knowing there, but it's unconscious that I'm going to protect myself in these situations. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, um, like how many people can stand up in front of a crowd and do a talk? Mm. Mm. How many people would come on the radio? You know, what's it like for you to sit... Um, and go in for an interview, mm. things like that. You know, how is it for you? Um, are you okay in yourself to do that? What comes up for you? What fears? You know, and that's what needs to be looked at. So, if we want to improve our self esteem, we need to go inwards, not outwards. Mm. You know, and, and it's always our story that that's informing. It's it's our perception of our story. So the two of us could have very oh, similar right, stories, okay. right? But there's none of us the same. So we're all going to have a different way we look at things do you know what I'm saying and we're going to have a different way we're going to cope with them yes. yeah for want of a better word like we'll all find our way and we do this unconsciously right so it's like as I say we're quite amazing right mm. so even the unconscious stuff there's no right or wrong there's nothing wrong with it yeah it's a way of taking care of ourselves mm. you know so even the pseudo confidence is, 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 is perfect it's fine it's okay if that's how you get through the day and that's how you cope and that's how you manage that's perfect and it's amazing mm. but for me personally I want to bring what's unconscious to conscious because now I want to really live I want to really know and be conscious of what's happening for me so when I sit with another person, I want to be fully present in the moment. Do you know when you hear that and you go, what are they talking about? Mm. That's kind of what it is for me. Now I feel fully present in the moment because I can be consciously here. Right. I'm not thinking about, it's not even that I'm not thinking about 40 other million things because it's not even that. But I can sit with you now and be present with you. Right. And you're not thinking, oh, what does that other person think of me and yeah. what impression am I making and yeah. all of that. And the greatest addiction in the world is the addiction to what other people think of us. Yeah. That's a fear we all have. Because if I didn't fear what other people think of me, I'd have no issue standing up talking in front of people. I'd have no issue going on the radio. I'd have no issue going for an interview. I'd have no issue, you know, doing anything because you yes. wouldn't care. But why do we care? It's what other people, people think, think of us. Think, think of us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. If we have, if if we're competent, yeah. and we have anxiety issues or self esteem issues, how do we begin to go about 
doing something about that. Because we can have crippling anxiety. Some, some of the most competent, talented people I know are crippled with anxiety. Yeah. And what's that? What's that they call it? It's not the intruder syndrome. What's they call it? Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yes. That's the one yeah. I was trying to think of. Yeah, you'll hear lots of people talk about that too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like you're you're living a life separate to who you really are. You yes. know, you're putting on a big show. It's like you're an actor, you know. And I don't want to be an actor. You know, I'm only going around once. I want to be me going around. So I think it's always about looking at, like, I think if it's true relationship that we become imposters, yeah, or we get this amazing talent where we can, yeah, you know, uh, I suppose hide ourselves, mm. for want of a better mm. word, in the face of threats that are ahead of us, then it's true relationship that we'll come out of hiding. Does that make sense? Through if it's true relationship that we've gone into hiding, okay. So if it's true relationship that we've put up this wall, yes. that we're uh, that we see these threats, right, and unconsciously put things in place like a pseudo confidence or say we wear different masks when we meet different yeah. people, yeah, just because yeah. yeah. we don't know what we we kind of judge which ones are going to be more threatening than others, yeah. It's amazing, really, when you think about it, yeah, and it's perfectly fine to do that. But what's really nice is when we start start to realize that that's what we're doing because if we do that we're unconscious so we just keep going around in the circle it's like mm. being a hamster on a wheel and I often hear a lot of my clients say to me why am I doing the same things over and over again how is it that this keeps happening mm. to me and that's it because we're not looking at what's going on here now what, what is this behaviour telling me what the behaviour that I'm showing here what is it telling but me but Susan since I first began talking to you I am now aware of those different masks that you wear with different, for, for instance but I'm not I don't seem able to sort of change it if you know what I mean you know yeah see uh, it's, it's never about changing it friend because we're not we're never going to we're going to put our toe in the water, right? Because it's been very threatening, right? Yeah. Like, I'm well over the 40, 50 mark now, right? So I ha- would have had 40 good years of threats. Yeah? Yes. So I'm not just going to flick a switch and say everything's okay now, everything's peachy, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, going to be so conscious and so out there. That's not going to happen. So I'm going to put my toe in the water and see how safe it is. And I'm going to do it gently. Now, if it's true relationship that I went into hiding, and that's... That's no blame on anybody. Mm. That's just, Mm. we all carry our baggage and pass it on. It's true relationship that I'm going to come out of hiding. So what I did, my my journey was, is that I sat with somebody who had started the journey themselves. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And then, like, if we want to see what consciousness looks like, we have to have an example of it. Yeah? And we have to have somebody who's after going through the journey themselves so that not that they're going to tell us what to do because we always know what's best for us, but that they can accompany us through it. Mm. And they can reflect back to us and say, well, how is that for you? Or how was that for you? Or I wonder what that behaviour was saying to you. Do you know? Mm. But in time, like, we do get a sense of that ourselves. We will start checking in with ourselves. Like, it's the minute fear comes up. Fear is fear is a lovely um, indicator and it's a lovely feeling. I know it doesn't feel lovely, but it's a really strong powerful feeling that lets us know there's something where we really, are yeah. yes there's something yeah. really not sitting right for me here now you yeah. know there's a threat in the way now here and i wonder what that threat is and i think it was young who said i haven't written down here because i'll forget it uh it was carl young who said everything that irritates us about another can lead us to an understanding of ourselves oh i firmly believe that i, I absolutely believe that i think it's so powerful yeah. I know for years, like people who really get on, on under my skin, you know, I'd be like, oh my God. Now, now I, I welcome it. 
Yes. You know, I see it like... Why, it's a mirror in some oh, way. Yeah. What are they touching into? What sore spot now is that person touching into? Mm. Because they couldn't irritate me unless they were touching a sore spot. <laughs> you know, so they're giving me this lovely opportunity now to have a look and see what's going on inside for me. So right. And if you discover that, uh, what what do you do about that? Happy then? days. Yeah. Mm. You'll move at your own pace. There's okay. no such thing as, like, say, I was saying to you, I did a lovely um, workshop in Tuss on, on Saturday morning. It was really, really nice. And we all were exploring that, you know, self-esteem and how is it for us to step out there and go out there and put ourselves out there. Us, hmm. not a pseudo us, yeah? Yeah, yeah? And, like, it was lovely because everybody in the room contributed. It wasn't just me. I just facilitated it. So it was lovely. Everybody gave their own experience. And we learned so much in a group of 12 people. You know, it was lovely now. It was really nice. And that's what it's about. But we what, learned from what each is other. It that, I mean, with the amount of work you've done over the years, what is it you could have learned from, from something like that? Oh, I, you're always learning, Fran. Yeah. There's never a day goes by. When I see my own clients, like, I feel so uh, privileged and so blessed because there's always something to learn. And I always sit with somebody and they enlighten me in some way. Yes. You know, uh, and even for them to share their story with me. That's such an amazing gift. For someone to sit with you and and feel that safe and trust you that much that they'll share. It's their a great story. compliment, I, oh, I my suppose. And have you ever met anybody who is there, no. who is enlightened in some no. way, and who have no, no. Never, <laughs> never, never. I've met people who've done a huge amount of work on themselves. I've met people um, who are on their way. You know, I think it's a lifelong thing. I think you're never. I don't think there's such a thing as there. I think that's yeah. why we're here, is to explore this and have a look at and become. I suppose emerge, that's the word I'm looking for, to leave our true selves out there, you know, to drop all the masks and all the, you know, and I, that's that's what I feel my journey is. Mm. Like, but, but even to be conscious of what's going on, even if you feel powerless to do anything at this particular time, but to know what's going on, yeah. isn't that, isn't that yeah. in To know what's going on now inside you. Yes. Because remember, we never really know what's going on with another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's no point in me going out there looking to find out what's going on outside. I can't control what goes on outside me, but I certainly can do a lot for what's going on inside me. Yes. That's that's where my power is. And even to get a degree of now you probably won't want the word success, but a degree of success in in, yeah. in, in, in on your journey is that immensely helpful to you? Is that it, I, what I'll say to you is when I started off, I was hugely now you're probably you probably resonate with this a small bit, maybe impatient. Yeah. Yes. Is it done yet? Is it over yet? Am I there yet? I was um, probably jealous a bit of other people that I knew, thinking they were further ahead of me than I was. And how is it I can't do that? But that's part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the lovely journey. And I think that when you start to get that softness towards yourself, you know, that, oh, my goodness, I caught myself there again now doing that. Or, you know, oh, my God, that person really touched in there to a sore spot. Thank you. <laughs> Right. You know, instead of, oh, I'd love to go over there now and, you know, tell her what I think of her or him what I think of him. Why are they at? You know, that blame game, you know, it's their fault for making me feel that bad. Or it's my fault that I feel that bad. What did I do to upset them? You know, when you get out of that blame game, it it's so freeing and it releases you from being, I suppose, responsible for the other. Does that make sense? Now I'm responsible yeah. for myself. I have this lovely lightness because there's only one person on this planet that I'm responsible for, and that's me. 
It's always fascinating, Susan. If somebody wants to talk to you, how can sure. they do that? It's 086-3676-256 or it's info at emotionalwellbeing.ie. Thanks, Fred. Right. Great to see you as always. Thanks, uh, Susan. That's it uh, for me. Leanne produced. Uh, Ali looks after our content. Stevenson's on the way with the time tone and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Be safe out there, by the way. Uh, bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.